unapologetic, unadulterated, and absolutely uncompromising. Greetings, brothers and sisters from around the world, and welcome back to the home, the haven, the stronghold, and the everlasting super fortress of intelligent black thought. We are the black media, and this is the Black Channel, and I am your host, your brother, your humble servant, the voice of black America, the black authority broadcasting to you live from the only historically black college and university of higher education and learning in the cosmos. You are, of course, welcome to join us. And join us you shall, because on tonight's program here, we going to take a trip. It's what we are going to do. Because, as I said here earlier here, we are the undisputed, the only historically black college university of higher education and learning. And tonight we are going to fulfill our purpose and our mission statement by explaining to you all that you have never had it stated to you like this before in your lives, but after it's been said here tonight, you can go rah, 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 yeah, that's great. No, 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 no. I want you to understand exactly what it means. I want you to understand exactly what it means. We have this conversation about culture, about the descendants of the slaves and what we built from nothing, totally divorced from anything and everything else. It was outlawed for us for anything else and everything else. We had to have that ingenuity imbued in us in the very soil itself. And out of that has come an unmatched and unparalleled genius, but also an unmatched and unparalleled culture. And I'm going to walk you through it here tonight. And it's not just that it's a culture. It's not just that it's one of them. We are not just one of them. We are the Rolls Royce of cultures. We are the bespoke pinnacle of it, that hand-stitched, carved, crafted from the most precious of resources and materials. You can't get here overnight. This isn't a mass market product that just any old body can run up and here we go does not work that way because it cannot work that way. We are not just one in a million. We are the only one ever. We're not just one in a million. We're not just a one-off. We're not just one of one. We are the only one ever. We're about as close to perfection as you are possibly going to ever be able to get. No, I am not overstating the case. And I'd like to show you exactly what I mean by that. I'd like to show you exactly what I mean by that. Many people here now around the world have been witnessing as Deion Sanders has come to Colorado and has redefined college sports let me explain to you all what the significance of this is for those of you who don't know. Sports cannot survive on diehard fans. That is a misnomer. That is one of the biggest misnomers and misconceptions of sports entertainment, selling tickets to anything. 
You cannot survive on die-hard fans. You have to have casual fans. You can't, if you have a movie franchise, you can't survive on die-hard fans of the franchise. Tom Cruise can't rely on die-hard Tom Cruise fans. You can't make that money like that. Every genre of sports entertainment, the real money is made from the casual fans, not the diehard. You see, the diehard people are going to show up no matter what occurs. But by definition, diehard fans are a niche. By definition, it doesn't matter. We all are familiar with football, but they're diehard fans, which is why you got the folks who can tell you where every game, where every team going to be played, whether it's a home game or an away game. Yeah, but that's not the overwhelming majority. 10 or 15% of you might be able to be diehard fans. But the overwhelming majority will be casual fans. So the question is, you're going to have to be able to prove and show that you can connect to the casual fan. Now, what is the problem with this? Your diehard fans, many of those are what you call purists. They know all the plays. They know all the coaches. They know the, they know the history of it. Yeah, but casuals don't. And because casuals don't know it, Casuals don't care. They're not married to it. So the things that you're, you're like physics students, you love talking about splitting particles, and splitting neutrons. And casual folks like, hey, can you make the bomb go boom? And you're looking at them with contempt. It's like Ferrari. For those of you who remember Enzo Ferrari, the creator of the car you call the Ferrari, Enzo Ferrari was a racing person. He was a racing purist. If you all remember, I've told you this story before. He didn't want people who were not racing people to drive his cars. He was adamant that he should not sell his car to the general public. That's why you have the outrageous prices you have. Not so much because that's what it costs to make it, because Enzo Ferrari's philosophy, his personal philosophy was, I don't fool with the general public. Why, you're the peons. You're the unwashed masses. You don't truly appreciate what this magnificent machine is. And so he literally had contempt for customers. Well, eventually the company let him know, hey man, if we don't sell to some people who are not race car drivers, there won't be a company because there are not enough race car drivers to buy the Ferrari. So Enzo Ferrari, to stay in business, eventually broke down and started selling to the general public, but then they still have crazy requirements. And we all know that that's what occurred because it got so bad that one of his prime customers was a fellow named Ferricio Lamborghini. And Ferricio liked to race cars too, but he was telling Ferrari about the errors and, and the, uh, and the um, deficiencies in the design. Some of the things that need to be improved Enzo Ferrari told him, you're just a tractor maker. You're too busy riding your tractors. If you think you can do what we do, why don't you build your own? This is what he said to one of his customers, Fabrizio Lamborghini. And Fabrizio Lamborghini said, you know what? I'll take that as a challenge. 
Well, we all know how that turned out, don't we? Before it was over, Lamborghini's car was beating Ferrari at the races. But that's the attitude of die-hard sports people. They're purists. We need to maintain the purity of it, the X's and the O's. We need to distill it down to that. That's not the way casual fans operate. That's not the way casual fans operate. Casual fans don't operate that way. Casual fans want energy. Casual fans want excitement. Casual fans want something that they can personally identify with. So rigidity is something that casual fans stray away from. Purists love rigidity. Casual fans don't. And that is why you got to get the casuals. Deion Sanders, like most black men from the soil who got in sports, from Jack Johnson to um, Joe Lewis to a lesser degree, Muhammad Ali owned. We understood that the X's and O's, the newspaper columnists who love to write the columns, those people treat these things like religions. We understood that, yes, sports sells, but personalities sell even more. And we've always understood the necessity of expressing and exhibiting our personality into it with them telling you, you shouldn't do that. Now, how is us injecting our personality into it hurting the sport, hurting the craft, hurting the genre? It isn't, but it's hurting the sensibilities of the people who are married to the rigidity of being diehard about it. And then you find out the people who are being diehard about it, they're doing it because it benefits them. Keeping those strict rules, it benefits them. So then you have Deion Sanders, who even in the NFL was never afraid to showboat, but he understood something. If all of us are out here wearing the same uniform, which is essentially what football players are playing, we're all out here wearing the same uniform. You got my face covered. Yeah, my name is on my back, but it's just my name and my number. Other than that, I don't stand out. So the team, remember in the NFL, they pulled the money from merchandising, remember? They collect all that together. They pull that money. So, yeah, I mean, I can get out there and make touchdowns or whatever, but nobody can see me, and I don't stand out. If I don't do something to stand out, then I'm just going to be another number running around the field, which is exactly what the NFL wants, exactly what the NCAA wants. They just want you to shut up and dribble and let them take home and hoard all the money. You just become a number, and what you do is you end up amplifying the league or you end up amplifying the association, but you end up getting diminished. So you just become yet another number that was cycled in and cycled out, which is what they want. You don't have any residual value that you can carry somewhere else where you can capitalize on it independent of the league or the association. 
That's why Vince McMahon, like I said, Vince McMahon, when you come to WWE, he crafts a character for you that he can copyright and trademark. And if he can get your character over, it belongs to the WWE, but it's not something that you can pick up and go take somewhere else. So you can enhance the WWE, but you cannot enhance yourself outside and separate from the WWE. And what I'm saying tonight is not news. What I'm saying tonight is not news, people. But if you didn't know it, now you do. But what I'm saying tonight is not news. That's always been the strategy of the NCAA, the NFL, the NBA, to reduce you down to a number, to make you just another automaton running up and down the field, running up and down the court. So you enhance and increase the value of the league, but you do not become bigger than the league. Folks, Floyd Mayweather Jr. is bigger than boxing. Y'all know it. Floyd Mayweather Jr. is bigger than boxing. That's a nightmare scenario for a, a league or an institution. You have a person who's supposed to be working for you. Now he's bigger than you. He calls the shots now. When he walks in the room, he throws the contract down. And he tells you what the terms of the contract will be. That was the problem with Michael Joseph Jackson. After Thriller, Michael Joseph Jackson, let me just call him Michael Jackson, he became bigger than the music industry. So when he walked into a boardroom, he handed them the contract and told them what the terms would be and said to them what the cut was going to be. They didn't tell him what the cut was going to be. He told them what the cut was going to be and then walked off with the Beatles catalog. You don't want somebody like that getting bigger than you. Now he eclipses you. I can go down the list, but you all get it. Hell, when Mike Tyson was in boxing, Tyson was bigger than boxing. Mike Tyson is the reason, and yes, the WWE admits this. Eric Bischoff has talked about this. Mike Tyson is the reason that WWE is still in business today because Tyson liked WWE better than he did WCW. So when he got out of prison, they had him in this storyline with him and Steve Austin. Yeah, they wanted to get him in WCW, but Tyson was a WWE fan. He wanted to be in the ring with Austin, even though they were down in the ratings for 83 weeks. Tyson showing up at WrestleMania breathed new life into WWE. Breathed new life into it. He was bigger than boxing. He was bigger than boxing. Some dumbass in the chat room said Tyson didn't have the intellect. Dude, here, take your sippy cup and get back in the high chair. Mike Tyson has, has not had, has one of the highest boxing IQs ever. Mike Tyson was on drugs. For those of you who did not know, Mike Tyson was like Bobby Brown and the rest of them. That's the reason why he ran around with Bobby. They was on drugs. Mike talks about it now. He was on drugs, cocaine, the whole damn nine yards. As soon as he got off the pipe, as soon as he got clean, what do you know? One man show, marijuana dispensaries, millions of dollars. Mike Tyson was never dumb. Mike Tyson was never stupid. Mike Tyson was on the was, was on the cocaine. 
Hell, you're right. He was spitting philosophy back then. In the ring, he was doing it. Mike wasn't stupid, but what they do to you in the business, y'all know, some folk here don't know, somebody enlightened the young man or young woman who don't get it. When you're a black person, what's the first thing they do? They, they bring you drugs, they bring you white women, they bring you both. They want to make sure that before you get into a situation where something like that can happen, they sit up here and make sure you're on the pipe. They come to you early, y'all know that? Tariq will tell you that. As soon as they bring you into the corporate office to make a deal with you, they're like, hey, by the way, you need some drugs, you need some coke, you need some white women, you need some heroin. They want to make sure you get messed up before you ever get down the road. That's standard operating procedure. Why do you think there's so many rappers today who are strung out on drugs and every damn thing else? Today! Right now, today, they strung out on them. Molly's, Percocet's, God knows what else. Why do you think that's standard operating procedure? Here's some Molly. Here's some Percocet's. Now sign this record contract. That's literally the way it works. My people who live in Los Angeles, y'all see that every damn day. My people who live in New York, you see that all the damn time if you're out here on the streets. Here's some drugs. Here's some coke. Here's some pills. Here's a couple blondes. Now sign this contract. Wait, wait, wait. Wait till you take the drugs first. Let's get them on the drugs first. Now come on in and sign this contract with us. Come sign this. problem with the internet is that it allows anybody to type anything no matter how low their intellect is. So Tyson's not the one with the low intellect. You are. Maybe this will be an opportunity for you to address that. In any case, we understood that we got to be able to market ourselves. Otherwise, we get swallowed up and then you give all those years of effort where you could have gotten a whole lot more out of it and you end up dropping off with them. If you all agree with what I'm saying here tonight, Give me the black fist and hit the likes button for me. It's over 4,000 people in here live in just the first 15 minutes. But if they're not liking the program, let me go ahead and cut it short. But if you like what you hear tonight, give me the black fist and hit the likes button for me. I'm giving you the 723 analysis you'll receive nowhere else because there's a bunch of you who are very young and you don't know all the details of this. So Deion Sanders was over there in Jackson State. He's in Mississippi. They ain't ready for prime time, literally. And Dion's like, hey, y'all trying to run a Bush League here. I came from the NFL to show you how we really get it done. Folks, you can't argue with it because he showed up in Colorado and he hasn't even had to miss a step. Got Colorado up to speed immediately. And yes, it's because his son is quarterback there. He going to make sure his son... Okay. is not being held back. Nothing wrong with that at all. And anybody who wants to talk about nepotism, nepotism, step number one, kiss my ass. Step number two, <laughs> I got one word for you, Manning. Nobody has ever said any of this about the Manning boys. First there was Archie, then he, next thing you know, here come all his sons. Nobody has ever said nothing about the Manning boys. 
so you can miss me with all that. And if someone was out there screwing up and messing up, that'd be headline news. In any case, so Dion shows up. He tells you what it's going to be. All of a sudden, the casuals, now the casual people, NFL fans who may become disaffected, not following the NFL anymore, now all of a sudden, they're interested in what's happening over there. Now they want to see what's going on. So you see, that's where the real money is made. But under ordinary circumstances, all the money stays with the NCAA and the university. You don't get none of that. So you're instrumental in bringing attention and thus dollars to them. But they set the system up so it cuts you out. You don't get a piece of that if the arena was half full before you showed up. And now the arena is completely sold out after you showed up. You don't get none of that. You don't get that. They get that. You sitting over here like, well, I can do this. And Deion Sanders is a part of this generation of black men who are like, yeah, no, 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 no. You're going to have to give me what I'm worth. You can't, we ain't, we ain't signing these slave deals anymore. You're going to have to break us off what we worth. If I'm producing for you, then I deserve to eat what I kill. And if I made the pot bigger, I deserve my cut. You ain't giving me an opportunity to do a damn thing. I'm a professional. I know what to do. So Dion showed up and he brought the magic. Dion showed up and he brought the primetime magic. It's not Dion's fault that the other coaches are stodgy and rigid and cobweb-covered and adhering to the old obsolete rules because they think that they're going to get respect among their peers and the, and the association at the cocktail parties when they show up. What they do is they teach you and condition you that you can't shine. You're not supposed to shine. Yeah, because then you become bigger than the league. And the problem is, if you become bigger than the league, and if you start winning, folks, if you start winning, you are impervious. What do you do about somebody who is bigger than the league and he's impervious? Now you kind of just stuck with it. Folks, if Dion was a loser, this would be a whole damn different discussion. If he was losing, they would love to talk about him even more if he was losing so they could shut him up. But Dion has shown up and he's brought the magic. He's brought the magic. He came to a team that wasn't doing a damn thing. Showed up and he... he Immediately, he has been an injection. What does this tell you all? He did the same thing in Jackson State. Now he's doing it bigger and better in Colorado. What does that tell you? That tells you the other coaches have been doing this wrong. Dion has an X factor. Dion has a personality. And that's what he's leveraging with the players and the fans and the game.
these other coaches walking in there like Sunday school teachers. And the students don't really respect them. They respect Dion because you know what? These young men ain't making the bag like that, but they can get adoration. And Dion knows how to deal with attention and adoration. They're like, hey, we want to do it big. Because that gives you confidence. That gives you confidence. And that's an important element to have. However, my likes are kind of low here tonight. So folks don't like this program. This is not the kind of material they really want to hear. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit, go ahead and play a brief commercial break here because I have to do that. Then we're going to go ahead and wrap up tonight's program. This is the Black Channel. Hello, my name is Steve I'm a certified elementary school teacher and have been for 33 years. I'm the author of this book, Guidelines for a Successful Student, a closer look at parenting and school age In this book, I've explained the role of the parent and the student in addition to accommodations, procedures, rewards and consequences, and expectations that need to be in place to ensure student success from primary to high school. This book is available on Amazon.com. For more information, please visit my little tree at Easy World. And to access my latest podcast, A Teaching Moment, a white supremacist assassin seeks revenge. Corrupt FBI agents with evil intentions. Dangerous black collaborators dedicated to treason. Occam Jeffers must defeat them all and somehow survive. One misstep and he's a dead man. Join Occam Jeffers as he looks the devil in his blue eyes and tells him, Black first. A sequel to the underground hit War of the Heart, Spirit of 1811 Publishing presents God Love Us, on sale at Amazon. Pre-order and save today. Visit spiritof1811publishing.com and show your love. today to experience all the benefits of ash cake and natural body butter with skin so smooth and soft with bankers food. Shop ash cake at all. That's A-S-H-K-I-C-K-I-N.com. This is Brenda Starr, creator of Poetry with a Purpose and author of the book, Press But Not Crush. Press But Not Crush is an anthology of political poems that address current and historical issues in American descendants of slave population and African-American population. The book describes slavery and its residuals, Jim Crow segregation, social depredation, and other 
relevant issues to American descendants of slaves and African Americans, including the current political climate that does not address our issues. And this concludes tonight's broad winner. Let me see. Oh, okay. They do like the program. Maybe I was looking at it wrong. Oh, they. Oh, okay. They do like it. Well, all right. Let me go ahead and just continue then. I guess we have a momentary aberration there. We are the Rolls Royce of culture, and Dion is a perfect example why that is. Because what he's doing is he's bucking the system and going against the grain. People, you can't stand out if you don't go against the grain. If you allow them to turn you into just another drone, just another carbon copy, you don't stand out. So what we have learned, our history is a culture of resistance. I've told you this now for a decade and a half. Ours is a culture of resistance here. That's not what you see in the Caribbean, Africa. So they had some sparks for a little bit, but that's gone for the most part. We're trying to get the game back in them. We have a consistent track record here in America. Those of us who survived the killing fields of slavery, we have a persistent, consistent track record of survival, of resistance, and that has worked its way into everything we've done. Everything. Shout out to the Super Chat, too, by the way. Finger lasers and everybody else there in the Super Chat, thank you very much for your support. We appreciate that. Let me cook. Let me go ahead and barbecue. Folks, so they manned the Deion Sanders. The, the, the coach of Boulder was throwing shade to the quarterback positions. There's supposed to be just a few token black positions, but let's keep it real. At the end of the day, that's supposed to belong to the white dudes. The lion's share is supposed to belong to them. The coaching and quarterback positions are supposed to be theirs. That's supposed to be set aside so they can have theirs. So, yeah, the Negroes can get a few dimes in here. They give you, and they give you crumbs off the table. But other than that, the lion's share is supposed to belong to the white dudes. The so-called leadership positions. Yeah, because you know, as coach, you get to decide who makes it and who blocks. Oh, but that's true. You all haven't thought about it that way. Casuals haven't. Hardcore fans sometimes think of it that way. But the truth of the matter is, the coach can decide what players fly and which players flop. If the coach wants to sit on a player, no matter how good he is, He's not out there making numbers. He's not out there getting seen so the coach can derail your whole career before you get started. So if you got the white coaches and they've decided Eli Manning is the guy, then we don't go with Eli Manning. It doesn't matter who else is on the team. If the white coaches decide this is the guy, then it doesn't matter what the black kid on the team is doing. They don't sit on you because the coach has the backing of the university, University has decided this is the guy. And at that point, you're going to need a miracle for you to break out and be seen. Somebody said Cam Newton and Tim Tebow. We can go down the list. The list is longer than that. But yeah, by the way, 
Yeah, if they decide they're going to sit on you, then that's what's going to happen. So you got the coach of Boulder. He's here to let you know this is unbecoming of what we do here. It truly is. He said during this radio show, I don't care if they hear this in Boulder. Who the hell are you from? I told them, ESPN, I took my hat off and I took my glasses off. He's talking about during the press conference. I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and glasses off. That's what my mother told me. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure I got this straight. That's Colorado State head coach. Said that to Dion. Let's talk about Dion. When I talk to grown-ups, when I talk to grown-ups, so you got this man sitting up here trying to police another grown man. Think about that for a few moments. Trying to police another grown man. Would he ever say that to any of the white coaches? He's trying to police another grown man. A grown man who outranks you. Let's be very, very clear. A grown man who outranks you, Jay Norbell, who the hell are you? Dion has played at the very highest levels of the game. Who the hell are you? Nobody knows you. You played at the highest levels of Colorado State. Dion has played at the highest levels of the game. Who the hell are you? You know what? Maybe if you got you a pair of nice sunshades, y'all would play better. Just a thought. Just a thought. Maybe something in your wardrobe is missing. So Dion came back and he 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 played past it. He really sidestepped it. And he was just like, you know what? We gonna show you what it's about. But on top of that, as you can see, Dion did what Dion does. And this is why we are the Rolls Royce of culture. Folks, do you understand? It really doesn't matter what the outcome of the game was. Do you understand that? It really doesn't matter. Folks, that's the way that the NFL sees it. Whether it's Colorado University, Colorado State, whatever. That's the way the NFL sees it. Remember, I told you all years ago there was a there was a female reporter. I can't remember what it was, but it was college basketball, and um, she was talking to the head of the NCAA. It was during the Final Four, the championship game. She was talking to him. They were bantering back and forth. It was great. She's talking to him about the teams, and then she finally asks him, "So, which team are you rooting for tonight?" I will never forget it. She asked him, so which team are you rooting for tonight? And he responded to her, we're the NCAA. It doesn't matter who wins tonight. We all win. Folks, that's how you get rich, not just in America, but in life. 
The other folks are down there fighting for one side. You be the fellow who's betting on the game. Even in the stock market, if you invest in an index fund, which takes an index of the entire stock market, rather than trying to pick and choose individual stocks, you outperform folks doing individual stock stocks. The NCAA said it doesn't matter which who wins. We all win. Doesn't matter which team wins, which individual team wins, we win. No, 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 no. When he said we, he talking about the NCAA. He's not talking about the school. He's not talking about the students. You wouldn't have needed Ed O'Banion if that was if the students win. If the students playing basketball win, you wouldn't have needed Ed O'Banion to file his lawsuits. And that situation has still not been resolved across the board. No, it's not we all win. It's we, the NCAA, win because these two teams play under our umbrella. We're the ones who negotiate the TV contracts, merchandising, everything else. We win. And Dion understands that. And he just ain't playing the fool anymore. So everybody else is trying to play nice. Dion's like, yeah, damn nice. That's the difference. It's a difference of mindset. It's a difference of being set apart. Yeah, you're supposed to walk out there and tell yourself, I'm bigger than the league if I'm outperforming the league. I'm bigger than the association if I'm outperforming it. And so Dion went to work and did what Dion does. He didn't take the sunshades off. He knew he was marketing. He knew he was marketing. And as you all can see, he's moving millions of dollars. College athletics has not been operating at this level and the few times it does, it has to be some top-ranked teams who went through decades of work to get their name out there. Dion has turned them into a superstar team within a matter of weeks. You know why? Because he played in the NFL and he saw how it was done there. He saw how him and others did it there. All he did was bring the magic to college and let all the folks in college be behind the curve. They're obsolete. Dion is ahead of the curve. They're still using obsolete mentality and obsolete philosophies. Dion has brought the new way into the sun, which is really the old way. You all have just been artificially uh, handicapped. Dion's just like, yeah, I ain't going to get handicapped. I'm not going to get handicapped. But the reason that this happened was because of our innate culture of resistance. The man told Dion to sit down, and Dion said, dude, chill for what? Chill for what? That's the way that we respond. Some of these newcomers from other places, they've been conditioned with the when white society tells them pipe down and yes, boss. Yes, boss. Did you mean make no trouble right there? I want to represent y'all well now. We over here like man, if you don't back the hell up. I'm grabbing these dollars. If you don't back up off me. You see, if you didn't create our culture here in America, if you didn't go through what we've been through and through our experiences, this is foreign to you. You trying to find some white ass to kiss somewhere. What Dion did, you said, like, sacrilege. You don't want to make those white folks angry at you, sir. You just got here. The newcomers and the old niggas 
The newcomers and the old niggas will be sitting here telling Deontay, you better stop it out here right there. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get them folks mad at you. That's the problem with you ugly niggas. Y'all, you just got here. You just got here. You just got here. Making trouble already. You just got here. Man, they going to have you out of here. You just got here. Let's be very, very clear on something, folks. Colorado University knew what they were hiring. That's the first damn thing. You're out of touch if you don't understand. They knew what the hell they were hiring. But that's because they got nothing to lose. The program sucks. So this is the way it is with any team, any organization, any company, any music group. When sales are terrible, when they're in the slump, nobody cares what you do. Get somebody in here who can make things better. All of a sudden, all the people with artificial handicaps on you, nobody's listening to them. Folks want answers. So they knew what the hell they were hiring with Dion, and they knew that attention comes with him. At the very least, our profile is going to be raised so we can go get us another coach. I'll be damned. It don't look like you don't need to do that anytime soon. If you thought that Dion was going to get a spotlight on your school on your way to another coach, by the way, it looks like that just got derailed. Looks like that just got derailed, by the way. And now the spot, he, what Dion showed you is it doesn't matter how hot the spotlight is, he's ready for it. That's what it means to be cultivated in our culture of resistance. Let me tell you another thing here right quick. To all the purists out there upset with Dion because he's bigger than the game. Yes, I said it. Y'all can hashtag that Dion's bigger than the game. Because it's true. They want to sit up here and wag their finger at you. No one is bigger than the game. No one is bigger than the game. That is sacrilege. Nobody's bigger. Dion acts like he's bigger than the game. No one is bigger than the game. No one's bigger than the game. You can shut your ass up. I'll show you bigger than the game. Jason, why are you yelling this? Because nobody else is telling it. You want to see bigger than the game? Even us football casuals know about Nick Saban. He been bigger than the damn game now. For what? 15, 20 years? And they ain't said a damn thing to him. They treat him. Let me tell you, let me go all the way back. You're going to have a historical perspective on this. Let's go all the way back. Jack Johnson, you doing too much. Jack Johnson, you doing too much. You too flashy. You making too much money. You doing too much. Think about that for a few moments. Jack Johnson, you doing too much. But you know who they didn't say that to? Those of you who are too young to know it, and of course I wasn't even born then too, but everybody knows the story. Babe Ruth, why he became the biggest name in baseball, and then a scandal at the time, baseball paid him more money than the President of the United States. And do you all remember what Babe Ruth said when the reporter said, hey, your latest contract 
you're making more money than the president of the United States. What do you say to that? Babe Ruth said, I had a better season than he did. And you know what happened next? The newspaper reporters and the TV reporters, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that's so funny. You go, Big Bambi now, yeah. Now that was funny when he said it. That was funny that he was bigger than the game. That was funny that he was directly comparing himself to the President of the United States and said, I had a better season than him. That was funny when he did it. They were laughing. They were joking. They were patting him on the back. They were like, hey, that's a good one. That's a zinger. That was good. Jack Johnson, we're going to lynch every nigga in this town. Now you got Nick Saban. Nick Saban is literally, people, listen to me. Nick Saban is literally part of the budget of the state of Alabama. You got the nerve to say something about Deion Sanders. And Nick Saban is literally part of the budget in the state of Alabama. No, I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. He's literally part of the state budget. Literally. Jason, what do you mean? This is the latest contract. For those of you who've been following me here on the Black Channel for over a decade, you know I covered the last contract. Well, guess what? He's got a new contract that runs through 2029. Because what he's gotten so far is not enough. Well, guess, so let's take a look at the details of this. Yes, I'm going to read it. They're going down here. I want to go into the details of this. Nick Saban contract details. Alabama hired Nick Saban in 2007 for an initial eight-year deal worth $32 million. And while 07 may not feel too long ago, it's eons in the world of college football and its coaching contracts. Since then, he's more than doubled his annual pay, racked up millions in bonuses, and ensured he will stay at the top of the college football salary mountain for as long as he wants to continue coaching. I thought you, this will be performance-based. Well, if you're not performing, how'd you go? That's the way it goes there. Ho, ho, pal. Folks, they shameless about this. They're shameless about it while they're wagging their damn fingers at Dion for wearing a pair of damn shades. Here are the basics of his contract. Signed, August 2022. Length, eight years through 2029 season. Annual base salary, 305000 Now look here. The base salary is 305000 Talent fee. This is not part of the base salary. Talent fee, $9.595 million. Take a look at this. Annual retention bonus. The retention bonus is damn near three times his base salary. His retention bonus is damn near three times his base salary. $800,000. That's the retention bonus. That means his base salary. His base salary is the chicken feed. Total salary for the 2022 season, $10,700,000. And that does not include performance or academic bonuses. So in other words, the number is beyond, is over $10 million. Way over $11 million. 
while Saban's base yearly salary and retention bonus are static through the terms in his current deal, the talent fee, that's where he gets the bulk of his money, is set up with regular raises. He will make $9.595 million talent fee this year and next year, 2023, before the annual $400,000 raises kick in. Folks, they are simply fire-hosing money at this man. Just to keep him in the state, they are fire-hosing money on him. He's getting money literally to do nothing. Now take a look at this. Nick Saban's talent fee salary by year. This is that talent fee salary I told you about before. As you see, it's separate from everything else. This is the talent fee year after year. 2024, 10,395,000. 2025, 10,795,000. 2026, 11,195,000. 2027, 11,595,000. 2028, 11,995,000. 2029, 12,000,000. Folks, are you kidding me? They're going to tell you about what we don't have money for in the budget in Alabama. They're going to tell you that there's no money for Plenty of money for Nick Saban. Tons of money for Nick Saban. Unlimited amounts of money for Nick Saban. No money for anything else. Yeah. Uh, hey, call Nick Saban and tell him to drop some of that off their reparations money. Hey, I found our reparations money in the budget in Alabama. I found it, y'all. You don't, no, 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 no. You don't have to give me a, a feed for it, but yeah, I found the money, the reparations money in the budget. I found it. Yeah, we can knock a few bills off of him. He'll be all right. Now listen to this. It's important to note that it's highly unlikely that Saban and Alabama see this deal through to its bitter end without some additional restructuring along the way, which means Saban will probably hit them up if he keeps winning or whatever, or if he starts winning, he starts losing. He'll, he may hit them up for more money along the way, but still provides a good look at the bare minimum that Saban will receive, providing he coaches through 2029 when he will be 78. Some quick math shows that excluding performance bonuses, his entire current contract is worth everlasting gobstoppers, $93 million. You take a look at this that they upset about Dion with. He ain't gonna get all of that. The blender people gonna get a bunch of that. So Dion is out of line. Nick Saban, on the other hand, well, this is perfectly legit, and yeah, nothing wrong here. You're pocket watching. I just wanted to put this proper context and perspective for you. Take a look at the next part here. Staying on top, Saban has a clause in his contract that is, shall we say, extremely Nick Saban. Basically, it's there to ensure he remains one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid coaches in all of college football for the full duration. The contract calls him and the university to meet each February and calculate the average salary of both the three highest paid SEC head coaches and 
the five highest paid coaches nationally. So in other words, not just for the SEC that he's a part of, but the five highest paid nationally. If Saban's total salary is lower than either of those two averages, his pay will be raised to match the higher one. Folks, he gets that no matter what he does. The way his contract is structured, he gets that no matter what he does. While you telling me that Dion is doing too much. Saban got this deal last year. Dion just showed up last month, but he's doing too much. He needs to calm down. Take off them shades. So Dion can't market his little old sunglasses, but Nick Saban can get locked in generational wealth. It goes on saying here that for the purposes of this clause, Saban's total salary is defined as his base salary and talent fee. In 2022, this would be $9,900,000. Nick Saban, buyout details. Try to stifle your laughter. This is the writer of the article here. Even he knows this is freaking ridiculous. Nick Saban, buyout details. Try to stifle your laughter. As is often the case, if Nick Saban is fired for cause, think felony conviction, egregious NCAA violations, literally not doing his job, then Alabama will not owe him a dime more than he has already been paid. So what they're saying is, he just gets to walk away. The buyout comes if he is fired without cause, meaning the university somehow thinks he's not winning enough games and that they can find someone to do the job better. Should that happen, Alabama would owe Saban the total of his base salary plus his talent fee for the next 48 months of his contract. People, did y'all get that? If they fire him without cause, simply meaning he ain't winning enough, we, we just we changed our mind. Alabama would owe him the total of his base salary plus his talent fee, as you know, which is the lion's share, for the next four years of his contract. Folks. We're only, he's only got five years left to go now. He's only got five years left to go now. And his contract says that if I get fired without clause, you basically got to pay me out. You got to pay me out as if I'm still there. So in other words, y'all, even if they do get another coach, you're going to be paying double dipping. They're going to be paying Nick Saban and whoever the new coach is. They're going to be paying Nick Saban's contract plus where the new coach is. He's only got four, five years left of his contract remaining right now and talking seasons. And he's already locked in to get four of those five years now. Now. 
But you got something to say to me about Deion Sanders' sunglasses? Is you crazy? Are you out of your mind? He goes on to say here that if this happens, I recommend you stack up, you stock up on canned goods and head down to your bunker as we're presumably entering the end times. Potential bonuses. Folks, you thought we were done? Did you think we were done? Folks, we ain't done yet. Potential bonuses. You know, Saban has set himself up to make plenty of extra money simply by winning football games, something he does better than anyone in the business. His athletic and academic bonus structure is relatively simple, as outlined here. SEC championship game. He gets $75,000 for appearing in the game or $125,000 for winning it. Folks, this is bonuses. These are bonuses on top of... These are bonuses on top of what I just told you about. This is on top of that. On top of it. Bowl games. $65,000 for appearing in any bowl game or $90,000 for playing in the Gator Bowl, Capital One Bowl, Outback Bowl, or any other bowl game with an SEC tie-in or... $200,000 for playing in a New Year's Six Bowl or $400,000 for reaching the college football playoff semifinals, not winning the semifinals, reaching it. $600,000 for reaching the national championship game, not winning the national championship game, just if you can get there. Or, yes, folks, there's a lot of or, white privilege is damn good, ain't it? $800,000 for winning the national championship. Do you see how many levels to fail this man has been given? But you begrudging me. Oh, sorry, I got Deion on the screen. You're begrudging me about Deion Sanders and some damn sunglasses. I want you all to take a look on your screens now that I finally put it up. This is the list of bonuses that Nick Saban is up for for the SEC championship game, and then the bowl games. They've given him level after level after level after level. He gets, folks, what I'm saying is that 400000 for reaching the college football playoff. In other words, he gets this as a bonus if he loses. Do you understand that? He doesn't get 400000 if he wins. If he goes to the game and loses, he gets 400000 If he goes to the national championship and loses, if Nick Saban, this is in his contract as paid for by the city of Alabama, if Nick Saban reaches, gets to the national championship game and loses, he gets 600000 If he gets there and wins, he gets 800000 Folks, he gets 600000 if he loses. How many people think $600,000 is a loss? I want y'all to know, this protects, understand what these things say. When you see appearing, this simply means if I lose, I get this just for showing up. I'm not required to actually win the game. 90000 for showing up, not required to win. 200,000 for playing, not required to win. 400,000 for reaching, 
not required to win. 600,000 for reaching, not required to win. 800,000 budget of the state of Alabama. I wasn't joking with you. They're literally telling you this paper by the university. Oh, that's by the state. Oh, okay. 25 hours maximum of flight time per year on a commercial airline to be used for non-business, non-business purposes. Non-business. Two full-size automobiles for business or personal use. In other words, I want a car for me and my wife or my mistress, whichever I choose. Just to show you there's nothing else left there. Folks, these are just the additionals on top of that 95 million that I just told you about. This is just piled on top of that. There you go. You need an airplane, country club, need a new car, interest. Folks, do you understand that the interest rates for cars right now are an all-time high? Payments are an all-time high. Nick Saban ain't worried about none of that. The state of Alabama, your tax dollars are going to foot this. They're going to foot this. What, I want to hear somebody now wag their finger at me about Deion Sanders acting like he's bigger than the game. When you gave Nick Saban this contract over a decade ago and now you've renewed it and just blown it up to hell. But Dion, Dion needs to humble himself. Dion needs to humble himself. The 720 degrees of analysis that you receive absolutely nowhere else. No one has said that Nick Saban is getting too big, doing too much, getting too much. The reason Dion is marketing himself is because the NFL wasn't going to give it to him. Yeah, you're paying me for my play, but you're not paying me for my personality. The white guys are given their full benefits. And let me tell you something. We don't sell ourselves to get our value. They will literally bury us. People, does anybody remember the NFL uh, Super Bowl with uh, Lovey Smith and Tony Dungy. Stand up. Do, who remembers the, in the Super Bowl with Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith? I'm a casual fan, but I remember that. How many of you remember that? How many of you remember that? Okay, tell me what the hell those two men who are so straight-laced and buttoned down and keep your head down and don't make no waves and don't make no controversy. By the way, tell me what they got for that. Where's Tony Dungy today? And where's uh, Lovey Smith today? Adhering to the, quote, code and the principles. Tell me, by the way, one more thing. Where, where, are they, where are they today? What happened to them? Dungy's commentating. The last time I saw him, he was commentating on one of the networks, maybe NBC. He was commentating on, it, on one of the networks. 
folks, that's what you get by letting these people cower you under and knuckle you under and telling you don't sell your personality. You just wait for us to throw you a paycheck. Marshawn Lynch didn't wait for nobody to throw him a paycheck. He said, I'm going to work my personality. Y'all can get a hair up your butts and fire me tomorrow. I better leverage something else. Y'all better remember that. Keep your head down and adhere to the rules and X's and O's and just just be nondescript. Act like you've been in the end zone before. Meanwhile, they throwing money at the white dudes. No wonder they act like they've been in the end zone before. He's caked off to a crazy ass level. We still out here trying to get it. While they're telling you what you don't need to do. It ain't giving you nearly as much. You damn right we got to get out here and market ourselves. You damn right we got to stand out. And one more thing, we're not the only ones. Do you all know how many crazy dressed college coaches have come along during the years, during the decades? And you want to talk about a press conference? My mama told me, take off your hat and take off your sunglasses. By the way, uh, this is LSU. And isn't that white woman right there, Moki? Isn't she the coach? Everybody talks about the girl in the middle, uh, Reese. But that white woman over there on the right, isn't that the coach of LSU? And she wears some, oh boy, some Sunday Flojo look tame now. This is LSU's coach. Let me throw it up there. I'm not switching things like I need to. I was wondering why the screen hadn't changed. Y'all, I'm getting so hyped about this. That's LSU's coach. There's LSU's coach. Excuse me, that looks like a damn hat. That looks like a damn hat to me. Um, If anybody in here sees a hat, give me the hat emoji in the chat room. For those of you, it might be late for you. Give it a moment. If you see a hat on that coach's head, and this is from the day here, five months ago, five months ago. If you see a hat, give me the hat emoji in the chat room. If you see a hat on her head, give me a hat emoji in the chat room. Because that looks like a hat to me. That looks like she's ready for the Roundup Rodeo meet. That looks like a hat, and that looks like a press conference. That looks like a whole hat, and this looks like a whole press conference. While you got smoke for Dion. While you talking about Dion. Excuse me, what the hell happened over here? Not a word to say to her. She can just do as she please. Okay, this is legit, but Dion is completely out of line. But this is legit. No, 
that's not the reason you're upset. You're upset because you saw this man come in, and in a matter of months, he has become bigger than the game. That's not supposed to be possible. The deck is supposed to be stacked against you. The game is supposed to be rigged against you. This is not supposed to be possible. You ain't supposed to be able to do this. That's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to be struggling. This isn't supposed to occur. You're not supposed to be able to just come from the outside and take over from the bottom up. That's not supposed to happen. Dion has eclipsed the other coaches. That's the problem, folks. This man has come in and eclipsed them, and he did it because he understood that we, you all are selling football. Dion is selling Dion. And you didn't understand that. The white coaches are sitting there trying to sell college football. Dion has never tried to sell football. Dion has always tried to sell Dion. And you know what you found out? Dion is worth more. Dion is more valuable than college football. That's why you got the Migos and The Rock and these celebrities showing up. There's nothing that bothers them. You got black folk acknowledging this. We didn't wait for someone else. So you see, when you got other well-known people in black society, I'm going to throw Dwayne in there. Throw Dwayne in there. You got other well-known people in black society showing up. That's us not waiting for the dominant society to rubber stamp this and confirm what Dion is doing. You got black folks showing up and lending their name to the cause, lending their notoriety to the cause, turning this into a major affair. Even if you wanted to uh, ignore Dion, you can't ignore what the hell else is going on. This is Michael Jackson all over again. Folks, Dion Sanders is not the Michael Kors of the NCAA. Deion Sanders is the Hermes of the NCAA and college, college sports, not just college football. He is the Hermes of college sports right now in the world today. He is not a mass market product. He's not a downscale product. He's not even an upscale product. He is the premier product, bespoke unmatched and unparalleled quality, attention to detail, and thus the notoriety comes with it. You are looking at a luxury product on your screen. That's what I'm trying to tell you. He's getting paid like he is, and shall say the notoriety like he is, he can get it on his own. He doesn't need the school to get it for him, he can get it on his own. Folks, that's the hallmark of a luxury product. He doesn't have to sell nothing. This thing sells itself. Dion just presents you with the receipt. This thing sells itself. You take a look at it. You feel the exterior. You see the quality. You see the craftsmanship. You see the, you smell the aroma from it. And all you can say is this is a, this is a bespoke, this is an ultra luxury product. People, they're buying us. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Dion couldn't do this if he was trying to sell football. Folks, 
as people here from the soil, from the mud, from the slave fields, as the foundation of this nation, we have sold us. We didn't just bring you a message. The messenger is the value. Jack Johnson didn't just bring you the message. He brought you the messenger. Muhammad Ali did not just bring you the message. He brought you the messenger. And they paid more for the messenger than they did for the message. George Foreman didn't just bring you the message. He brought you the messenger. And that's where the value is. When everybody else breaks left, we break right. That's new. That wasn't done before us. The newcomers come to assimilate to the dominant society. We come as a culture of resistance. We always try to do our own thing. So when, that's why these other folks will have crossovers and collaborations. We're always breathing our own air. And when the air gets too polluted by the other folks, we move all over to the side. We're breathing the same air. Because we do not want to dilute the formula that built what this is. Our culture, when I said a culture of resistance, Deion Sanders is embodying that. You got to get that from us. The way in which he responded to this. I'm just saying, folks, no smoke, no shade. Can I just keep it real though, y'all? If Deion Sanders was, 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 was ripping Uganda, I'm saying it, y'all, if they brought him over from Uganda, he was sitting there at the press conference and the white man told him, my parents said, take off your hat and your shades. Do you think he would have responded the way he did? Can we just keep it a buck oh three? Do you think that if Dion was over here with his green card, that he would respond like he did? Do you think he would? No shade on Uganda. No shade on Uganda. I'm not dissing Uganda. I'm not. Truly, I'm not. Don't, 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 don't hate me now. Truly, I'm not, but I'm just saying. But if Deion Sanders was Deion Bootlazy, he just came over here from Uganda, and the white coach told him we take off our hat and our shades. I got a sneaking suspicion Deion would have showed up at the next press conference, ball hit. Not just with no hat and no shades, but no hair. He would have tried to show that he was the most humble, polite, well-suited, well-mannered individual. But my mother taught me to be polite and to represent them well. Man. Come on now.
if Deion Sanders was Deion Sudanese? Oh man. Do you how do you think that would have went down when the white coach said that? Come on now. Dion would have said white men have it so rough. Am I lying? Dion was been sitting there talking about how rough white men have it. He would have been talking about, well, you know, I can understand. Come on now. Come on. The other thing you need to know about a Rolls Royce, you have something of enduring quality. Something of enduring quality that once it makes it into the fabric, that's it. It makes it in and redefines the fabric. I'm showing you all, I'm showing you all, I'm threading the needle to show you the direct parallels between our culture in the streets, our culture in American society, and Dion's behavior today. This is nothing but a continuation of who we are and everybody emulates us. Those of us who have survived the slave fields, those of us who thrived, those of us who created the culture of resistance, those of us who formed the foundation, everybody else is emulating us. That's what you do when you have found the pinnacle. Folks, you do understand there's a reason why so many of your cars are expensive today. They look at think Rolls Royce is a trendsetter. It's too expensive for most people to get, but most of your car makers take a look at what Rolls Royce does and they see how many of those things they can incorporate into their vehicles without destroying the price margins. We are the Rolls-Royce of cultures. And what that means, folks, you understand, Rolls-Royce is what they refer to as an aspirational brand. Rolls-Royce is not a car that you get to get fresh out of college. Rolls-Royce is a car that you gotta work for, slave for, accomplish things, make your mark in society. You gotta earn a Rolls-Royce. Hell, you gotta earn a used one. So Rolls-Royce is an aspirational brand. Anybody can get a Kia or a Hyundai. Most folks can get a Cadillac. Rolls-Royce, oh, we're in rare air now. Now we're in rare air. This is something that all of the Kia and Cadillac buyers aspire to. Even the folks in the Ford Mercedes, they aspire to a Rolls-Royce. But huh, you pass that credit check. You can pass that credit check. And that is what we are. We are the culture that everyone else aspires to because we've got a unique innate quality. These other folks would have responded to these situations, these circumstances far differently than we did, far differently than we did. They saw the way that we respond to these things that makes the whole new ball game. Now going forward, now that 
these other folks saw us do it, that, that while they were sitting over there cowering in the corner and repeating the words of the dominant society, they saw us break in a different direction. We are different. Yeah, you might have laughed and giggled at first, but what you saw is I'll be damned. They own something over there. We're different. And not only that, but we're not just different for the sake of being different. We're different because we found a better way. If our way isn't just different, our way is better. Bottom line, end of discussion, our way is better. You brought over your opera music. You brought over your opera music. That's what you brought from Europe. You brought your opera music. You brought your waltzes. You brought your bagpipes. No shame on any of those. But that was what you had. We created something new. And not only was it new, it's better. Let me say it like this. Foundational culture in America is to world cultures what anime is to animation. You might have started animation in America, but when the Japanese did it, they perfected it. And everybody else has been aspiring to do what the Japanese have done ever since. And nobody's coming close. Four and a half decades later, you ain't coming close. Well, that's what we have done for world culture. Every time you turn around, we are defining it and redefining it. We are making it better. We're improving it. And the crazy thing is that we're able to improve it, not by looking at the future, but by looking at our own past. We, we keep coming up, we keep looking to our past after and during and our slave exodus. We take a look at our own past and we find in gems hundreds of years later. Gems that we're incorporating hundreds of years later. You had your operas, you had your waltzes. They had been around for centuries. All we had to do was show up and we call this, all they, this is soul music. We're singing from our soul. We are not adhering to the, stop you, this sounds familiar, rigid structure of the music that you made. We were not adhering to that. When we sing, our music bleeds over. Our, we'll take the lyrics and it bleeds over from one measure to another. We are singing what we feel, not what you wrote. The culture of resistance. We created resistance as an art form. When you take a look at the way we sing, we are resisting the rigid structure that was imposed on you by the dominant side. You said, you can only do this one way. You can only do this one way. And we have spent our entire existence showing, no, we don't. 
We will take that and we are resisting it. We do not have to do it like that. No, we don't. You're trying to create a cookie cutter product. This is art, not a cookie cutter product. They're telling you that you can only coach one way. If you don't coach the way we want to, then, then you're wrong. No, it's not. This is an art. We're showing you a dimension you never thought it could be. This is an art. You will not confine us to one dimension. And you see that philosophy and that culture of resistance permeate everything that we do. And now everyone else aspires to do what we did, what we've done, what we're doing. And I can't say that I blame them. I cannot say that I blame them, not for a moment. I, 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 I can't say that I blame them because you got to understand. When you're dealing with the prototype, some folks, they're going to draw from their culture. And I'm like, hey, go ahead and do that. But just remember that when you get out there in the real world, folks will make value judgments. Different isn't always better. But it isn't even when it comes to art. Matter of fact, I took a little time. As you all know, if you're on my Twitter, I shared for you. Some of the folks who say that, try to say that we took from their culture, and I'm like, okay, which part? Because I did do a little bit of perusing of some of the alternative cultures. And by the way, some folks out there are making their own way here. Some folks out there are carving their own path. Here's a sample. could do with auto-tune if anybody was wondering what the other cultures were going to do with auto-tune they took a look at us and said no 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 you follow back you akaza let me show you what to do with this auto-tune well they got their hands on it yeah they got their hands on it and they're showing us a trick or two i will admit yeah we never thought to do that yeah, I, I, I will admit, we we never thought, to, we never would have thought to do it. We never would have imagined to do it. Yeah, never, never, that's one musical inclination that didn't come across our desk. Um, and all I got to say is they're accusing us of stealing their culture. Uh, I, I politely suggest to y'all, whoever stole their culture, will you please take it back before they... You know, whoever took it, take them their stuff back, please. Take it back to them. Yeah, we're, 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 we're good. I don't know what you thought you was going to do with it, but will you please take him his culture back? 
Let, let him have that. Let him have it. More power to him. I hope he sells a million copies. And, and, and you, you, by the way, I'm, I'm looking at the swag. I'm looking at the swag. I'm like, okay. Now, by the way, this is a little odd here. Let me go ahead and show you, by the way, we're talking about cultures. Take a look at the way she's dressed. Okay. Take a look at the way she dressed. All right. By the way, is he transporting water in the wheelbarrow? All right, brother, we you better call Akon to see if they can get the get the get the plumbing. Get the plumbing piped up over there, bro. Yeah, you might want to get the you might want to get that plumbing, that plumbing done. You're doing it the hard way, brother. You're doing it the hard way. You might want to get that that plumbing infrastructure in place. Alright, so you got her walking around. She's doing her Ugandan booty model thing. Okay, that's fine. This Negro is squealing like a squirrel getting strung up. She's doing her best, and she's rude as hell, by the way. Then you see these other females. Now, you take a look at them. Take a look at the way she's dressed, and take a look at the way that they are dressed. Do you see the difference there? Take a look at the way she's dressed, Take a look at the way that thing is hugging her rump. Now take a look at the other females. Now I ask you, which of these females is indicative of his culture in Africa and which female is indicative of ours? Which one is where he came from and which one does he aspire to? Because here's the crazy part. He didn't try to stop and holler at them gals wearing them burkas. Let's just keep it a buck oh three. Oh, by the way, you all look very modest. That's great. That's one. Hey, hey I'm trying to figure out what red, what big red can do for me. He's like, hey, look, yeah, I sound like Alan the Chipmunks, but I came to holler. Say, yeah. Uh -huh. so, yeah, I might sound like Daffy Duck's little brother, but I came to holler. Hey baby, I brought I, I I brought the water. We can get out the mud. I brought the water. Okay, what he say? Look here, you look like something I saw in Alabama. He said, "Yeah, these chicks back here wearing the wearing their quilts." I'm like, uh, "That's all right for the village, but you look like something I saw in 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 in, in North Carolina." You look like something I saw in Atlanta. He's like, look here, baby, I'll bring you water, bricks, corn, meal, whatever you need. Like, look here, it's been a minute since I seen that. You look like something I passed up in Dallas. And I was trying to get my immigration status corrected. He said, hey, well, what, what, what time is it? Hey, baby, you look like something from Dallas. What time is it? She said, it's time for you to get out of my face, nigga. <laughs> with your flower shirt. You take a vacation with this bottle. <laughs> okay, the other chicks are standing around. They're like, eh, we good. Oh, boy, it's like, look here. We all get out the way so I can see her back there? Can y'all get out the way? Thank you. Can you move? 
By the way, brother, one reason she probably smacked you there, you know. Y'all, hopefully we don't get panhandlers doing this, because this is like holding niggas hostage. Can you imagine you at a red light? Can y'all imagine being at a red light and a fella do, he comes to your car with a, you know, anything you can spare. He's out your damn, outside your damn window. <laughs> anything you can spare, brother. A dollar? A nickel? <laughs> I can do this all day. I can do this all day outside your window. Could you imagine that? Folks, you be handing this nigga a credit card. Will this get you away from my car? Here, do you take American Express, nigga? Will this get him away from my car? Dude, do you have a cash app? Whatever, I'm having a rough enough day. Oh, we are the Rolls Royce of cultures. We are the Rolls Royce of cultures. If you ain't seen us lay the foundation, you going back where you are trying to lay the foundation. Here's another thing right here. Take a look at the way he's sitting. They don't sit like this over there. You pick this up. Even the down and out brothers on the block over here got swag. Even, even our down and out swag is the Rolls Royce. Man, we the Rolls Royce of struggling. Do y'all understand that? Even our struggling is an ultra luxury product. That's just how bad we is. Even us struggling got swag to it. Come on now. What y'all talking about? We are the Rolls Royce of culture, so it's understandable that Dion had to break it down the way he did and will continue to do so. He's just one in the long line. But if you don't come from our culture, this is new to you. If, and the only ones, you, there's a bunch of y'all imitating it and trying to emulate it and copycat it and you look silly doing it. And some of y'all got bad track records. Now you're trying to get your passes back. Fall back. Fall back. Yes, we are the Rolls Royces of struggling. Even our struggle is a luxury product compared to the rest of these folks. You don't believe me? Is this his version of the blues? Bring me some BB King. Damn, I meant what I said. We are the Rolls Royce even of struggling. If you don't believe me, take a look at his struggle and take a look at ours. Tell me which one you cash in with. Uh, do you see what I mean? Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, do you see what I mean? I'm playing no games tonight. None. None. I 
I want to thank everybody who has contributed to Sport Tonight's program on Super Chat, Venmo, Cash App, Nancy King, big shout out. We appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much here. Also, big shout out here to Veronica. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your support. Very glad we even got to get this far, by the way. Got some number ones in here tonight, Mr. 220. Um, Lioness Bless, my Lioness be blessed. Thank you very much for you all being first time on here. First time, join us every time. Folks, we have a conversation tonight. We are the Rolls Royce of cultures. And by the way, if you don't come from the soil, if you don't come from our culture here that we built this, don't be hating. Don't be hating. You know why? Because if you ain't, if you're not driving the Rolls Royce, do you hate on the folks who do? If your company doesn't build a Rolls Royce, do you hate on the ones who do? Or do you say, damn, pop your collar, salute. Pop your collar and salute. So you can start soaking up the game. And then don't sit up here and try to disrespect it. Nobody wants a knockoff Birkin. Nobody wants a knockoff Rolls Royce. What you need to do is get next to the people who make the Rolls Royce. Let them take you under their wing. Let them show you the will and the way. Let them teach you in the format. And you're probably never going to be able to build a Rolls Royce, but now you've learned at the feet. you sat under the learning tree of the people who built this incredible novel thing that you ain't got to hate on it. You can say, you know what? I learned something from them. And your legitimacy comes from showing respect to the foundation. That is where your legitimacy comes from. So then we can come clean up the act. Because trust us, we ain't going to have y'all sitting over there squealing like dead rats. We ain't going to have you doing that. <laughs> trust me. We're going to shut that down with creepers like, hey, playboy, I know you're trying to get on and everything. But, uh. Yeah, brother, even Michelle A, when she started singing, her voice dropped. Brother, you sound like Michelle A talking. You need to sound like Michelle A singing, not Michelle A talking. I'm trying to help. Don't get angry. Dude, I'm trying to help you. Do you really want to pass this down to your kids? Brother, I'm not being denigrating. Do you really want to pass this down to your kids? I'm trying to help you. Go ahead and tell our culture. I'm I'm trying to help. Are you, do y'all want to show up at the Caribbean parade playing that? The African parade playing that? You better let us step in. This is called, this is not called an insult. This is called an intervention. That's what this is. You off in your feelings. This is called an intervention. The world is not looking for squeal in the game. It really isn't. Some folks are going to get off their feelings. They're going to hate this. They're going to hate this. They're going to hate this. They're going to like this. And this is what it is. This is what it is. Somebody said Michael Blackson's twin. Really? Folks, I'm trying to help. Some of the folks out there are going to get upset. Some of them are going to get mad. People, I'm just saying tonight. It's the truth. We're the Rolls Royce of culture. 
We're the ultra luxury product. We are the aspirational brand. We are the aspirational brand of cultures. You see what we do in China, in Africa, in Timbuktu, and when they, if there's any Martians up there, they bumping us too. If there is extraterrestrial life in space, they playing our music right now. Oh, I mean that. I mean that. And you tell Mork and Mindy and E.T., he's like, yeah, let me, let me put this damn alien xylophone down. The Negroes bumping down there in North America. How you doing? But it's the damn truth right here because we built this from our experiences, the culture of resistance. You all thought that the culture of resistance was only good for fighting. No, the culture of resistance is to resist norms, to resist orthodoxy, to resist unnecessary controls. Resistance doesn't mean that you are undisciplined, but resistance means that you're making sure you maintain your freedom of thought. And within that structure, You'll be able to create and embrace new things. You'll be able to show the world something it didn't have before. We ain't just sitting up here babbling. We're not just sitting up here giving out babble and gobbledygook and, and rambling. When we pick things up, we ain't just saying a bunch of nonsense. This is new to people. This is new. These other folks want you to sit up here and just bow to control. We're the first ones who told you, by the way, that's not in our culture to do so. It is not a part of our culture to do so. When them folks show up trying to control, it is a part of our culture to resist. And not just resisting for the sake of resistance. It is resisting because we understand we have a better way. We have a better way. Jason, why do you say that? The NCAA in college sports should never be trying to tell these people how to minimize that. You should be testing the limits, testing the boundaries. Find out just how much there is, but you want to control people because you control right now. If you adhere to their formal or informal rules, you will only get the benefits that they decide you should get and only at the levels that they decide you should have it. But if you resist them, then you're going to go exploring and find out just how much is really out there. How much do y'all want to bet? that within five years, you're going to see white college coaches trying to sell sunglasses, baseball caps, shoes. How much y'all want to bet within five years, you're going to see that? And oh yeah, ain't nobody going to be saying a cross word to them. Give me the hand up emoji in the chat room. If you believe within five years, we're going to start seeing the white college coaches doing exactly what they're criticizing Dion for within five years. You mark this program tonight. You put a pen in it. You preserve it. 
within five years, how much you want to wager that we're going to see the white coaches doing exactly what they were criticizing Dion for? Oh, yeah, and doing it big. Oh, yeah, and one more thing. The schools will be helping them. Oh, yeah, one more thing. And the schools will be helping them. The school, the universities will be helping them just like they helped Nick Saban. They're going to be helping them. Whatever the black coach is getting, the schools are going to collude together to see to it that the white coaches get 10 times more for exactly what you claimed you had a problem with, with Dion. Folks, that's how you build a culture. You don't build a culture by doing the same damn thing everybody else is doing. You build a culture by doing something no one else is doing and then making it hot, but not just making it hot, is hot because it's practical. That's how you build a culture. That's how you become iconoclastic. That's how you make something that endures the test of time. You found something practical that other people were just scared to do, either because they were told by somebody else don't do it or because no one had done it before. We done had the guts, we've always been adventurers We've always been trailblazers. And we have always stuck to the soil. We ain't been running around the damn world. Having to explain to people how we got there. We stayed here. We endured. Which is why I said that we have defined and then redefined this place. That's how you create an aspirational brand. So when you discuss the freedmen, the descendants of the slaves, the foundational people. You are discussing the people who are the aspirational brand of this society and of this planet. They aspire to be like us because they've seen what we've done. If they had a better idea, if they had a better model, Hell, if they could even put a better spin on what we've done, they would have done it. All they can do is a weak imitation of it. You know why? Because it's too hard to imitate. That's like imitating the Michelangelo painting. Dude, you can't replicate that. You either got it in you or you don't. Our culture is not simply a practice. It is a societal art form. When they talk about black folk, and they're referring to those of us from the soil. When they say that we everything we do, we do with, quote, style. But you mean our own style. We didn't take what you gave us and then do it the way you're doing it. Everything we grab, everything we touch is different. We have elevated culture to its very own art form across the board. Entertainment, food, sports, literature, we've turned it into its own art form across the board. Other folks are like, how the hell do you do that? You take a look at boxing. Other folk got in the ring. We were the first folk who danced. We were in the ring and they said, what the hell are you doing? 
You got time to dance during the fight? Hell yeah. We're just that good. We just make it look easy. That's why every great champion you can name was in there dancing. Jack Johnson, Ali. Um, my favorite, Roy Jones Jr. I'll be able to stay. Floyd Mayweather, every time you look around, you showing some folks was in there dancing. Not dancing to sit up here and goof off, but dancing to show you this is a higher skill level. Hell, they were telegraphing punches. Sugar Ray Leonard, telegraphing punches. You ain't supposed to do that. I'm going to hit you with this left. Okay, here it comes. Still hitting. Folks, that is not a high-quality product. That is an ultra-luxury product. All you can do is watch it with amazement, but you can't replicate it. Can't replicate, can't duplicate. However, you might disagree. Therefore, the telephone lines are now open, and the number is 646-787-1933. That's 646-787-1933, your personal access code to the blackest radio program in existence, the only one of its kind on planet Earth today, and as always, you are welcome to join us. Big shout out here to everyone who has contributed to support tonight's program on Cash App, Super Chat, Venmo, uh, Shiny Blake, thank you very much for your support. We appreciate that. Carlet Stration. Thank you very much for your support as well. Thank you for uh, supporting the program here tonight. Willis Addison and everyone else, Shots and everyone else who's GMAG and be supporting the program. Thank you very much for your support tonight. We're not going to stay on too terribly much longer here. I've been on here for a minute now, but I want to go ahead and check in here tonight so we can go ahead and lay something down so that you all understand the 720 degrees of this um, analysis that you see in Dion. And it's not about just Dion being Dion. This is an ongoing aspect of our, our culture of resistance. And even folks who are not from our lineage, even those who are not from our non-immigrant lineage, understand the value of it. Once we blaze the trail, we got to blaze the trail first. Once we blaze it, then everybody's like, who's safe to go? Let me get caller from area code 630. You're on live. Black Channel, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, Jason. This is Nick from Chicago by way of Houston. Nick from Chicago. What's on your mind? Yeah, you know what? Uh, funny enough, my uh, friend and I were speaking about this in terms of the sports channel that you know about and uh, thinking about doing this topic similar to this this week because there are athletes, uh, you know, I do track and field. So we had Shakari Richardson. Uh, then we have Shelly Ann Fraser Price that I speak about. And I discussed with him. I said, if you think both was, uh, he had a little bit of what we have here uh, as black Americans, which is why his brand was able to take off other than him just getting the world record. Because I was looking at some of the uh, Jamaican women and said, if they got a world record, I don't think that would make them above the sport like what you saying did, because when they tried to talk him down, he spoke back with some attitude. But when a lot of the athletes from Jamaica, Kenya, or something like that, they, they give them some pushback, they get all humble, they're trying to avoid controversy. 
to Terry Richardson, she's like, yeah, oh, you think we're about to just be friends now because now I'm winning? Now y'all saying, oh, it's togetherness. Whereas before, when I was losing, we're all apart. So she has that black American attitude with her, which is why she's transcending track and field. And all she needs is a, a couple of wins and a record, and then boom. It's all, it's all she wrote. Well, you know, they tried to beat her down. And our culture, our historical culture, is we always see with these other folks, it was destroyed them. It usually does. It didn't destroy her because we expect that. We expect to get attacked when we're losing, and we expect to get attacked more when we're winning. We expect that. So what she yeah. needed to do was get plugged back in so she could get on her square. But it is our culture to expect that. And then we have, a, it's like an antibody. We have a specific response when that occurs. We have a specific response. We've got a cultural antibody response to that kind of thing. Thank you very much for giving us a call tonight. Folks, we're going to try to get through a few more calls here. We're going to talk to you all quickly, so please keep your comments brief, or I'll keep them brief for you. Call America 504. You're on live with the Black Channel. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Charles Jr. from New Orleans. Be one family. Charles Jr. from New Orleans. What's on your mind? Uh, so something you said a couple of years ago that always stuck with me is that you said that Black folks should focus on three aspects, uh, power, wealth, and influence. And I believe that because... Coach Prime has focused on those three, like he already had those underneath his belt. Now he uh, represents one the representative of Black Excellence. Now he's influencing the culture. You can speak on that, and I will go back on, you know, mute. Thank you very much for giving us a call here tonight. Um, like I say, Black Excellence, that's, that, that's what we built, is the culture of that. We haven't expected someone else to christen us. Dion isn't waiting for somebody to give him permission. Dion is christening himself. That's what it means to be excellent. Expecting that folks are going to throw roadblocks in your way. Expecting that. How you deal with adversity. That's something you get from the soil, how you deal with adversity, man. That's different. Excellence isn't just a slogan. It can't be. Shikari Richardson, the world was sitting up here uh, mocking her because she was trying to get attention, but she wasn't focused on winning. She had it in the opposite order. Become excellent first, then you can showboat. You can't showboat and think that showboat makes you excellent. No, you got to be excellent first and showboat. Once she got kicked around a little bit and got recalibrated back on her square, now it's a different thing. Now it's a different thing. But understand something. Dion didn't come there to play. Dion came to win. Don't ever get it twisted. He's already been on international worldwide TV. Dion didn't come to play. Dion came to win. That's the difference. Yeah, he's flashy. Yeah, he's charismatic. It's not Dion's fault that the other coaches up there are stodgy sticks in the mud. Dion is charismatic. He's got a team that he is adhering to Sun Tzu's art of war. Folks, we are already getting reports out of Colorado that these young men are looking up to him like they're his sons, that he's teaching them like his sons. He did that at Jackson State. He is coming in as a father figure. Sun Tzu told you 
that if you treat your soldiers like your sons, they will follow you to the gates of hell. And Deion Sanders might, maybe, might, not sure, but maybe might have cracked the ultimate code. Do you all understand that? We might be looking at the dawn of a new era of human civilization. Deion Sanders might have cracked the code. The question I asked you all years ago, the people have been asking for decades and decades now, I can teach you a technical skill. I can teach you how to draw. I can teach you how to do music. I can teach you all those things. But can I teach you how to want to do it? Folks, the coaches before Dion taught these young men how to play football. But perhaps, perhaps Dion Sanders has cracked the ultimate code and is now teaching them how to want to play football. Maybe he's figured out how to get them to want to win. Folks, this will be a new era in human history. No, I'm not overseeing it. Call America 417, you're on live with Black Channel. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Al from Springfield, Missouri. Al from Springfield, is in your mind. I lived in Springfield. I lived in Colorado back in the late 80s and early 90s during Cart during Bill McCarthy's era. And before then, until they started recruiting all the black players, Eric Bianetti, Salonessi, Cordell Stewart, Eric Bianetti, once he started recruiting those players, they were consistently ranked in the top five. He won the national championship in 1990 and everything else. And then once he left and once all those great black players, you know, were going to Alabama and everything else, they were trash. Just want to point that out. He won, by the way. You run, brother. Thank you very much for this call. Now, let me get caller from area code 205. You're on live with Black Channel. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Yes, it's Kim from uh, Hurricane, Alabama. All right, Kim, what's on your mind? Well, what I don't get with people who, who know anything about Dion, Dion has always been about his money. So, anybody that's hating on him now or complaining, he's always going to be about the money. He took over a program that was failing. So anybody that follow college football knows once you build that program up, then more money gonna come in. But see, these are not where to bring the money into school. They sell it out on apparel. They sell it out tickets. Then on top of this, he got a value contract, twenty nine million. But within three years, they're gonna renegotiate their contract, which means him and his agents gonna sit back at the table. Really, the ball still is in Dion's hands. He's still controlling, really, because you bring the money into that program. So all the money that they bring in now, so just imagine, he keep on having a winning season. They, I'm not sure what they rank right now. So when the playoffs take off, we, I don't know, they think to get ready to change that. I think it's starting next year where they think it's taking their results. If Colorado is in that top, that top ranking within the playoffs, that's more money for Dion. And I'm, I'm not going to be mad at the brother for making the money he needs to make, but you wind up getting saved. If Dion can continue what he's building in Colorado, he's going to be seeing just like how his baby feels. The ball really, like I said, is in his hands. And that's all I got to say. Thank you very much for giving us a call tonight. Please do give us a call again. And like I said, he's taking over two failing teams.
Jesus, let me tell you how to. When the team is failing, nobody cares what you do. So that's actually where you want to go because you'll have the freedom to operate how you want to operate, and there's not going to be a whole lot of folks trying to push you around. The problems come in when you start winning. Then everybody wants to start trying to micromanage and looking over your shoulder and telling you how you should be doing it. So that's usually where the problems come in. But we got ways to go before you get there. Call America 415. You're on live with Black Channel. What's your name? Even if it cannot recall the exact incident that you went through, there's essences of that experience that's being passed down and is compounding from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, until eventually it becomes an integral part of your being. If you ain't been through the soil with us, there's a reason that you don't understand where that comes from. Thank you very much for giving this call tonight. By the way, that also goes for the cultural cowards, the individuals who have sided with the dominant society, the individuals who have to hang their heads in shame, the individuals who have, had, who have not stood ten toes down. Cowardice is something that gets passed down through the DNA also. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> Courage is not necessarily a standard part of behavior, but one more thing, generational cowardice can get passed down through the DNA also. Just thought you should know that. For those who wonder why we always make a stand where we are, because our DNA understands if we run, that will become part of our DNA like it has so many of the others. Call America 323, you're on live with Black Channel. What's your name? Where are you calling from? My name is Jonathan calling from Los Angeles. Jonathan from LA, what's on your mind? Here's another reason why they hate Deion Sanders. Let's talk about the money. ESPN, owned by Disney, signed a $3 billion, billion with a B, dollar contract with the SEC conference. Alabama Knicks Saber are in that conference. They are scared, terrified, out of their pants because they know that Deion Sanders can successfully recruit just only 30 of the best high school football players in the nation to come play for Colorado, not only will Nick Saban lose millions and millions of dollars, the SEC conference will lose billions of dollars, and ESPN, owned by Mickey Mouse slash Walt Disney, will lose billions and billions of dollars. And right now, the Disney stock has shrunk to lows as low as $85 per share. That's the real reason oh, why no, they brother, are they, terrified. They got down to the 70s. Disney stock is down to the 70s now. It's been hitting the 70s. So 85 is the good old days. Uh, yeah, this is it's, it's rough over there. But you're absolutely right. A lot of these big deals that have come through, everybody and their mama discusses that in our absence. Uh, the, the bottom line is that you understand that the system is rigged. You don't play in the, by the rules of a rigged system. You don't do that. Thank you very much for giving us a call tonight. In the chat room, also to uh, the cool man, um, since you claim you're having trouble with your phone, my mods are not the ones who told, um, it's not my mods who are saying you need to call in. I'm the one who told my mods you need to call in. So if you claim that Joe Bone is not able to call um, our number, you need to email me your phone number and I'll call you. 
So you got 10 minutes to do that. So just in case your phone is tripping, all right, I'll take care of that for you. Caller from area code 703, you're on live. Black channel, what's your name? Where you calling from? CB calling out of Florence, South Carolina. Okay, CB out of Florence, what's on your mind? Uh, two things real quick, Jason. White people, in regards to what you mentioned about him taking his hat off and glasses, white people play like they're so humble, but they make some of the most flying products on earth. So I just throw that out there for your audience. And the last thing I want to say is we talk about black people generating money through culture, through our efforts, through our hard work. We've been the door the plantation, the economic prosperity for white Americans and their families. And that's all I want to say, Jason. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you very much for giving us a call tonight here. We appreciate it. Please do give us a call again. Definitely you're right about that. We've been the foundation for everything else here, but I want you all to think about it just a little bit differently, that we are a luxury product. That's a whole different way of thinking about it, but we are the Rolls Royce. We are the Rolls Royce of cultures here. And if you've been told otherwise or influenced to think otherwise, that's going to be problematic. It's going to be problematic here because that's the whole idea. The whole idea is to convince you that we are not. So then you start selling it short. Everything's a damn slave deal. Everything's a damn slave deal. Their job is to convince you that you're not doing what it is you've been doing. So then it all becomes a slave deal. I want folks to understand exactly what our value is. The folks that up here and try to fool you and deceive you, get you to lowball yourself. If they've defeated you before they even got in the ring with you, when you're lowballing yourself, you can only do this one way. That's a lie. Let me get a caller from area code 323. You're on live. Black Channel, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, good evening, big brother Jason. Brother Elijah Corral from Brooklyn, New York. Hi, right, brother Elijah. What's on your mind? Um, brother, one quick statement and um, a question. All right, gotta give you your flowers while you're here. We would be nothing in the be one family without you. All right, you are a true hero, brother. All right, I just hope you know that. And I'll safely speaking for us in the big one family. Brother, my question is um, with our big brother, um, Dion Sanders, if he keeps doing wonderful work that he's doing right now, do you think um, it would be a matter of time before the NFL would have no choice but to reach out to him? Well, here's the real thing he may not want that. Dion was already in the NFL already, he knows the politics of that. He's got plenty of money in that regard. Dion is trying to prove something right now. Dion doesn't need money. He's not broke. Dion is in it for the love of the game. But also, he's made it also very clear he wants to he wants to be there with his son. Dion's get he, he already said in the interviews, you know, this is his son. And he's really 
throws about how much time he's missed with them before and experiences things like that. So he's doing this because he can. A black man who's put himself, found a way to put himself in a position to be able to have these experiences with his son. That's yeah. that, that's novel, man. That's new. That's novel to be able to do that. The other thing is, would you rather be an average fish in a big pond, or would you rather be a big fish in an average pond? Now, there's the other thing to take a look at. There, brother, the, the pressure isn't on higher than the Super Bowl. It's not on higher than the NFL playoffs. Y'all are going to ask a stupid question. Did Dion ever get a ring? I don't know if Dion ever got any rings. Like I said, exactly. I'm casual as hell. Did he play? Was that the 49ers? Was he on the 49ers at the time? 49ers. He won the 49ers in 94. The Dallas Cowboys in 95. Okay. I'm going to say, I, I thought I had something. I had to think about it for a moment. He said, yeah, he did get rings. Okay, now I remember the four Cowboys. Remember he was with the 49ers. I forgot about uh, Dallas. I, now I remember he was in Dallas. So Dion's got rings. He's been to the Super Bowl, so he's been to the big dance. What you going to show him? At this point, what okay. are you going to show him? So I'm a firm believer that, you know, at this point right now, he's doing it because he can. But he's a competitor, man. He's a competitor. It's in him. It's in his spirit to do that. And that's, that's what makes a man a producer, is if he's still out there on the field, he's still winning. They're doing surgery on Dion's feet and trying to cut off toes and stuff like that. And he's like, hey, look here. Chop these toes off so I can get back out here and, 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 and coach this team. The other thing is, yes, truthfully speaking, he's not trying to outshine his son. That's another thing. He's not really competing against his son for attention. He wants to be able to have as much control as he can as a coach. As far as I'm concerned, he's doing everything the way he should be. He's doing everything the way he should be. Yeah, he's bringing attention. He brings a lot of eyeballs. That's that's his image. That's his product. Okay, that's, that's fine. I got that. But by the same token, he's not distracted. It's not like he's sitting up here with a bunch of girls dancing around, a bunch of cocaine floating around. He came to win. He came to play. He came to win. And at this point, I really think it's just about the love of the game. Think about it this way. You know, Jordan, who played for the Bulls, then played for the Wizards. That wasn't so great. Then he tried his hand in coaching. We saw how that went. So, you know, I think if you're Dion and you're able to coach and you can make a run at it and you can make it work, I mean, hey, you look, your playing days are over, especially in, at number one, his age. But even if it wasn't his age, now they're chopping toes off. So, that's going to just throw off your way to run and everything. So even if he was 25 years old, that's, that's going to be a hell of a headwind in front of you. So he's accepting yeah, what it is. I mean, and we all watch athletes who try to get out there and play a little way past the time that they should have stopped. Dion has accepted that. He's moved into coaching. But we've also watched athletes who tried to coach who were not good. It, it just it wasn't there. Dion is, not, uh, is apparently not in that situation. So right now, I think he's having the time of his life. You know, he gets to he gets to do all the swagalicious stuff he's been doing, but doesn't have to worry about taking no hits. Um, he knows how to deal with the limelight. He knows how to deal with the pressure. He knows how to deal with these young men in the way he wished he'd have been dealt with. He knows how to inspire young men to want to give their all for their coach, which is what every coach wants. But many of them have adversarial relationships with their with their athletes, so they want to be generals ordering them as opposed to fathers leading them. Now, I'm just telling you right now, he's like a father figure to them. Man, look here. Yes, God sir. help you if you're playing against a team 
who see themselves as the coach's sons, and that they are there not to represent the school, but to represent the coach's bloodline. You play for, if you, if you play football and play sports, it's one thing to play for a coach. It is another thing to be playing for your father. It's another thing to be playing for your mother, that you're representing them. You're representing the bloodline. That's a hell of a team to be playing against. They've got a motivation that you just don't have. Thank you very much for giving us a call tonight. If it, when you see somebody as your father out there leading that team, you're like, I got to leave it all out here. I'm not here to impress the, the school or the NCAA. I am here to prove myself to that man right there. He's the one I'm trying to prove myself to. Ain't but one way to do it. Now you got a team of them with that mindset? Man, y'all better get the hell out their way. Call from area code 708. You're on live with the Black Channel. What's your name? Where you calling from? Hey, Jason, brother Jason. This is L. Boogie calling from Chicago, brother. L. Boogie from Chicago. What's on your mind? Just an observation, brother. I find it so very refreshing to see. Um, it's nice to see that Prime uh, Coach Dion has got two sons who are playing for him who look like him. And what I mean by that is that it, I think it's a testament to sort of how he has lived his life and the fact that he has got two darker-skinned black young men who look like him and who don't, you know, reflect some kind of uh, history of his dating racially ambiguous or, or non-black women. And I, I absolutely love it. And I don't think that's something that's lost on, on these sports writers and in the general media, though, as well. Because every time they shine the cameras on the two boys, they are shining the cameras on two black, heterosexual, strong men, warriors. And I'll leave you with that. Thank you for taking my call, brother. Thank you for this call. I'm not going to get caller from area code 720. You're on live. Black Channel, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Good evening, Dr. Black. This is Chemistry, calling you out of Parker, Colorado. Chemistry out of Parker, Colorado, what's on your mind? Yes, sir, I just wanted to, you know, share that this is inspirational. As the previous caller just said, the fact that he has both of his sons on the team, and what's interesting, he has both sons playing, one son playing offense, one son playing defense. He's the coach. He's completely controlling the game. I love this expression of black excellence. I love this expression of black fatherhood, right? Because at the end of the day, like you said, he is looking at all of his players as his sons. He actually cares. The fact that he has two of his biological sons playing on the same team, this, this is, I love this expression of black excellence. It's inspirational. I'm just, I'm loving this. So. Well, Thank you. Like, that's the real thing about it. the optics of this are a powerful thing. Far beyond game plan yeah. or anything else, the optics of this, you're dealing with dimensions of this. Thank you very much for saying that. You're dealing with dimensions of this. But everybody telling you, you got to be a Barack Obama to make these things happen. Everybody acting like you got to be some Barack Obama to make things happen. This is the kind of thing they don't want to see. They don't want to see a Venus and Serena Williams raised by an Earl Williams. They don't want to see 
Dion's sons, raised by a Dion. They want to tell you, sit down, hold your head low, be humble. Don't make no waves. Don't make anybody upset with you. Don't make anybody bother with you. Just do as you're told. They don't want to see this. They don't want to see it happen like this. Call Miracle 562. You're on live with Black Channel. What's your name? Where you calling from? How you doing? This is uh, Elton from Long Beach. Elton from Long Beach. Is on your I, how you doing? Um, I, I, I see our culture as like the Etruscans to, to, to the Roman Empire. As, as John Henry Clark said, we called them a bunch of well-dressed thugs. The dressing part came from the Etruscan part. The culture came from the Greeks. And that's where we, we are right now. So I that outlined my plan. All right. Sounds like his plane is literally landing there. So we're going to go ahead and let him do that. But definitely, this is the thing for you all to learn about this year. We are the Rolls Royce of cultures, and this is going to be emulated long after that. Let's see if we can go ahead and get uh, the cool man on the line here. You're on live with the Black Channel. And what was on your mind? Jackson State is. 
Okay, so all I'm asking though, but all I'm asking is, how is it he's winning at he was winning at both schools? You're saying that winning at Jackson State was somehow helping the community. The very same man with many of the same people, mostly black players, bigger institution, winning there, however, isn't doing anything for the community. Right, right. If he did the same thing at Jackson State. That's going to benefit that school, which is going to benefit black people. Here, what you're benefiting is a white institution. And you're building up a white institution. And that's all he's doing. Okay, he's sir. Um, well, I mean, well, that's a relative thing to say also. Dion already gave his contribution to the school. It wasn't like he was there for a few months and left. So tell me, after everything Dion did in Jackson State with water they ain't working, facilities that they ran down for decades through their abuse, neglect, and mismanagement of the school, mismanagement of the school. Tell me, after Dion presented them with all the winning that they did, what good did that do them? Well, if I recall, I think when Dion went to that school, then you had other players, like I think Ed Reed, he went to maybe Bethune-Cookman. And so what you were, what, what was happening? By the way, how'd that work out? By the way, how'd that work out? Why he left? Left. Okay, it it Reed left. Oh, it Reed left. It Reed left. Jackson State because it's hideously mismanaged. 
Dion could not focus on what he came there to do. That's what he said when he told you my car got broken into. Excuse me, have you ever heard Nick Saban complain about his car getting broken into? All of them in the state of Alabama is bought him. Have you ever heard that? Okay, whoa, slow down. What is Jackson State's responsibility to make sure that their employee, the football coach, can concentrate on playing football? What is their responsibility to him to do that? Okay, brother, let me let me try this again. Deion Sanders was an employee of Jackson State. What is Jackson State's obligation to the person they hired to lead the football team to make sure he can actually focus on coaching the football team? Okay, so they probably should make sure that he's secured. You know, his personal position, the things are secure. But that's not the, the, the point I'm making is that what Deion's doing, he's taking that wild, that wild, our, our black talent takes, which is it, it connects with the white. Okay, first of all, first of all, this is, okay, first of all, we're, these are, first of all, these are state universities. That's the first thing. So we really need to, um, really need to uh, get ourselves straight here. These are not private schools, to my knowledge. Alabama's not a private school, sir. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a hideous that's a hideous that's a hideous manipulation to say if you're working for a state school which is funded by our tax dollars if you're working for a state school that's somehow a white school but if you're working for a so-called historically black college which in many cases that's a relative term then you're you're really serving black society when you literally can't name for me five HBCUs that are doing any benefit to black society at large. No, he can't. Sir, I already know all he can do is stay there and help to artificially bolster some of the numbers, but not all the numbers, for their football program. What he's telling you is the school itself is dysfunctional, which we all know. That's way bigger than the football program, wouldn't you say? Then the what in the world do you expect the football coach a second, third, fourth time? What is the football coach supposed to do about a dysfunctional administration? He works for them. It's possible that maybe he could awesome. you know, he has connections that can help to get them get them uh, you know in a better condition. Awesome. Okay, well, no, 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 no. Because what you're saying now is he's got to stop focusing on football. You're saying that they hired him to run the school, that Dion needs to get hired as a football coach so he can step in and try to figure out how to run their school. That's what you just said. No. Yes. I'm saying the people that come out of our community have to try to make sure they make a contribution that can help our community. Yeah, but the school has an obligation too. You can't have just Dion. It can't just be Dion. What is the school's obligation to be functional, to be able to collaborate with Dion? Dion's ready. Dion is ready. 
Jackson State is not ready. And that's why I said you should have tried another black university. Sir, name for me a, a black HBCU that has clearly demonstrated that it's ready. Okay, thank you. Well, if, then don't you think that Dion considered that before he ever took the job at Jackson State? I'm not sure about a lot of these. Okay, but, okay, but we, we, know, we know that he, he had his pick of the litter. Dion had his pick of the litter. He chose Jackson State. So what I'm telling you is he already chose the most viable one. He already did. And what he's telling you is, yeah, they're not ready. And I'm not a college administrator or a dean. What needs to happen is the trustees and the um, faculty and the uh, students who left the school, they're the ones who need to be putting the pressure on the school to say, hey, we need to clean house. And that isn't happening. Not in Jackson State, not in Bethune, not at Howard, not at Spelman. It's not happening anywhere. Nick Saban did not have to come in and fight with the damn board of trustees and the chairman and the CEO or, or the, 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 the dean and, and, and the rest. He didn't have to fight with none of them. He was brought in to do one job. You take care of the football team, we take care of everything else. Dion gets there and he's got to run a whole school and got folk like you saying that that's reasonable for him to do. Then go jump to another HBCU that is being misrun, and he got to run that too. Maybe there's something that you all need to accept. Maybe the HBCUs need to be allowed to collapse. Maybe they're tough. First of all, we didn't start them. That's the first thing. We didn't even start most of these so-called HBCUs. But the second thing is, by the way, if this is an organism that is so corrupted and refuses to change, Maybe all these people with good intentions, like yourself, are being taken advantage of. And maybe what the HBCUs need is to be allowed to collapse. And maybe if enough of them go... When you post messages saying, man, what you said, I was thinking the same thing. I just didn't know how to say it. That is what I see my role is. It's what I work at every day that I do this. And I'm encouraged beyond words that so many of you have been here with me for so long to help me do it. Black empowerment is not monolithic, and none of its spokesmen and spokeswomen operate in a vacuum. That you're here listening, that you are actively involved in this, also helps to shape and promote the message that I and others express. This is a collaborative process, and we're all part of it. I get as much from you being here, and I hope you get something from me being here too. And for that, I am grateful for the presence of each and every one. And now, your B1 morning briefing. Don't look now, but Joe Biden's black support is continuing to fall. No wonder the orange man's neck and neck with him in the polls. See, Republicans don't need black voters in order to win elections, but they are desperate to make sure black people stay at home or are otherwise hindered from voting. Well, they didn't need to waste time with laws meant to restrict voting or election police any of their other pointless stunts. The best tool the GOP has to suppress the black vote has been Joe Biden and the Democrats. After Biden won the presidency, he said that he had black voters' backs. But he hasn't done a thing for us since taking office. 
But then again, the bastard hasn't done a thing for us since he got into politics over a half century ago. Well, if nothing else, he's consistent. But of course, the white media is doing everything they can to tiptoe around what the reason is for his eroding black support. But they know it is. The New York Times themselves admitted they were the problem. They started off by admitting that Biden's loss of black voter support is actually part of a trend among black voters, and this trend has been going on for 10 years now. Now, that date, 10 years ago, is very important. What year was it 10 years ago? 2013. And why is that significant? Who was president in 2013? Barack Obama. In fact, he had just gotten reelected the year before in 2012. So 2013 was the first year of his second term. People made excuses for Obama when he was campaigning for president in 2008. They told black people not to make any demands of him because that would cost him white voters. Uh, that sound familiar? We just had to be quiet and hope that he would do something for us. They also told us in 2018, ignore all of the insults that he made to the black community, how he would condescend to us and lecture us and stereotype black men, his attacking black religious leaders like Reverend Wright. We were told not to oppose Obama's blatant disrespect because he was only doing that so that white voters would think that he was okay. He was just playing the game. He was just doing a chess move. But after he got elected, his verbal abuse continued, and he never started doing anything for us either. In 2008, when Obama was elected, Democrats enjoyed unprecedented support from black voters. And as a result, when Obama took office, black voters handed Democrats control of the House and a filibuster-proof majority of the Senate. Democrats had 60 seats back in 2008. Uh, by the way, does that sound familiar yet? Black voters also gave Biden control of the House and the Senate, too, his first two years in office. And what did Biden do for us? About the same thing Obama did when we gave him control of Congress for the first two years of his administration. So this benign neglect of the black community is not some coincidence. It's not some unfortunate happenstance that consistently happens to us. And the white media had their bootlicks telling us that Obama can't do anything for black people because he has to get reelected. Wait till he gets reelected. Then he'll start doing things. So just like that, we went from wait till he gets elected to, well, you got to wait four more years till he gets re-elected. And of course, when he got re-elected, we were told, well, we got to make sure that Democrats hold on to the White House so you can't ask anything until after Hillary runs. See how that treadmill works? That's not what Obama told the feminists, though. And it's not what Biden told the LGBT community or Asians or anyone else. With everybody else, they do things for them in the first term, right away. No excuses. And it's not because Asians represent some huge voting constituency. They don't. Even the New York Times said Asians are too small a constituency to make a difference. And it's not because Asians are the lion's share of political donors either. It's because the Democrats have an open, blatant program of elevating everyone else over black people. A hyper-aggressive agenda of making sure we get ignored and everybody else is given the resources that they want and everybody gets to leapfrog us. This is a program at work here. So after four years of watching Obama have beer summits with racist cops and doing nothing but lecturing black voters, we got fed up with him after his first term. Go back and listen to the videos and the broadcasts that those of us in the new black media were doing back then. You'll notice that our tone regarding Obama was decidedly more hostile in 2012 than it had been in 2008. 
In 2008, we began banging the drum saying that if Obama doesn't produce for us in his first term, then he shouldn't have a second term. And we weren't alone. While it's true that Obama did get reelected in 2012, it wasn't by the same margin as he had in 2008. And that was the beginning of a trend that has continued all the way to the present. And now the white media has finally been forced to admit what we've been saying all along. No matter how they try to put a happy face on things, they know more and more black people are rising up to the scam because of the work that we've been doing. All the times that they had some black bootleg on TV or in print cheerleading for the Democrats, that was all spin. They have empty suits, sellouts with no influence and no credibility who try to dictate our opinions to us. But it doesn't work, and even the enemy knows that. Yes, it's taken a decade for the trend to be undeniable even to our worst enemies, but as our grandmaster teacher, Dr. John Henry Clark, said, revolts and revolutions take, on average, between 10 and 20 years to gain esteem. And he was absolutely right. Group dynamics don't change overnight. It takes time. And the larger the group, the more time it takes, especially when you're an oppressed minority with no resources. But who is to blame for Biden's shrinking black support? The white media also knows the answer to that, too. They admit that it's a generational divide that this happens to be a difference between the younger black generation and the older black. Voters under 45, that's basically millennials, Gen Z, and the tail end of Generation X, are the ones who are breaking away, and it's mostly black baby boomers who are still committed to the party. So they're admitting that young black voters are the ones driving this trend. And that matters because the older voters eventually die off soon. And if the young voters are walking away, that means your future constituents won't be there. This is the political future the Democrats are facing. That's why they've been going overboard trying to appeal to everybody else in the hopes of replacing all those deserting black voters with white females, LGBT voters, immigrants, disaffected right-of-center voters, whomever. And as I've been telling you for the last few years, the New York Times finally is admitting Democrats have tried to use issues like abortion and so-called threats to democracy just as nothing more than a way to gin up support for non-black constituencies. That's who their real audience is for this. But it hasn't worked. Abortion is meant to appeal to white suburban women, especially young white women, since they're the ones mostly of childbearing age. But all that's done is to turn out support that they already had. Democrats talk about the Republicans being fascist. And while that is true, that hasn't brought people back to the Democrats, because while the white media tries to talk as if the Republicans pivot to fascism is brand new. We, the black voters, have been seeing this going on for at least 60 years. And people like Joe Biden, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama were helping the Republicans to do it. Undercutting the unions, refusing to fight racist GOP laws, and in the case of Biden, voting for and even writing laws meant to attack black people like the 94 crime bill, or Biden's law as he used to call it before it became group liability. This is what the Democrats were doing to help push the Republicans' fascism. You see, as black people, we don't fear America losing democracy, because as black people in this country, we have never had democracy for a single second. We can't lose what we never had. And if Democrats truly were so terrified that the country was about to tip into totalitarianism, then it should be a big, simple, easy decision to make to finally pay black people the debt that we're owed and to institute the policy that we've demanded that should have been passed 150 years ago. And yet, even now, Democrats are still refusing. They won't even discuss the matter. 
So that tells me the Democrats can't be too worried about authoritarianism from the Republicans, otherwise they would be tripping over their shoes to do with the black vote sins. After all, democracy hangs in the balance, right? Only that's not what this is really about. This is just sloganizing from the white left, the latest attempt to come up with some talking point that's meant to get people to go to the polls one more time. Yeah, the Republicans are going hard with the fascism shit, but Democrats aren't doing anything to fight them. Even when they have the power to, they don't. They see that people are angry that the Democrats refuse to do anything for us, and now they want something to scare us. Like they did three years ago, talking about how Trump is too dangerous to be left in the White House. How many of you Negroes fell for that one? The Times also admits that among non-white, that means black voters, Biden's support is mostly slipping among those making less than $100,000 a year. So that means unless you're six figures, you're falling behind economically and the cost of living is crushing you. And what's Biden's response to this bill? Nothing. So unless you're someone comfortable enough to be making at least six figures, which means you have a house and can stay on top of your bills comfortably, if you're not among the top 10% of earners, then you don't have the luxury of pretending that Biden's benign neglect isn't a problem. And even among the six-figure crowd, he's becoming an issue. So you got one of the white media's premier propaganda outlets admitting what we've been saying all along. All these years of them denying it, whitewashing it, and trying to claim that what we've said doesn't reflect the black consensus. Now we've gotten closer to that tipping point. They have to at least admit some of it. Seems everything wasn't fine after all. And this isn't some brief short-term thing going on. This has been building for over a decade. All of their bootlets and all of their Negro whispers haven't been able to stop it or even slow it down. But the white media wasn't saying that. Until now, and the circumstances forced them to. Remember when Michael Bloomberg made his damn to fail presidential run back in 2020? The white media was saying that his stop and frisk policies when he was mayor of New York clearly wasn't hurting his support among black voters. Remember that? And what was the white media's basis for telling that lie? That Bloomberg did some PR public stunt when he had some bootleg black mayors to quote-unquote endorse him, like Mayor Sylvester of Houston, that was their evidence. And those bootlegs proved to everybody that they were completely out of step with the black community. Because when Bloomberg went to Brown Chapel AME Church in Alabama, those black parishioners confronted him publicly. Bloomberg dropped out of the race right after that, and almost immediately the white media had to change their tune and admit that stop and frisk hurt him after all. See, the white media is lying, and they know they're lying. But what they don't know is whether enough of us will push back against the lies. See, it didn't take millions of black people, or even thousands of black people, or even a hundred black people to run Bloomberg out of the race. It only took about a dozen of us to do it. What you're seeing now is them trying to cover their behinds when they realize that their con game with the black voter base didn't work either. The white media told us that black people loved Obama's stinking drawers and that there was no problem at all for him and nobody cared what black troublemakers on the internet were saying. They had bootlegs on all the shows cheerleading for him, like Bloomy Holy Martin and others. But here's the proof that we, the black media, reflect the true sentiment of the black street and that the white media has known this all along. That's why they don't have Obama running around endorsing people. They don't tell him so much to them. They know that his name is a dirty word, especially among young black folks, anyone who's not a senior citizen. And truth be told, there's more than a few black senior citizens in our community who can't stand him either. Obama is a sellout. He did white power's bidding, and 
Now he and his wife are getting their payoff in the very white corporate interest where they served for eight years. See, being a bootlick for these sellouts is not a victimless crime. Oh, and on a side note, who was Obama's vice president? That's right, Joe Biden. See, this younger black generation showing that we have very long memories. We remember when Biden was vice president. We remember when he was in the Senate. He didn't do anything for us, though he did do a lot of things against us. His track record of failing to produce for us and even fighting against our interests didn't just begin in 2020. So, why is Biden's black voter support crumbling? For the same reason that Democrats' black voter support has been crumbling. Because black people are finally becoming transactional voters. Tip for tat. Quid pro quo. You want this vote? You gotta put something tangible in our hands. Biden's problem is the same as Obama's. He has made himself politically irrelevant to black voters. Sure, there will always be some Negroes, mostly these old fossils, these civil rights retreads, who are going to vote no matter what, mostly out of habit. But for everyone else below the age of retirement, you have to actually put something on the table to get our vote. Biden has spent the last 50 years showing up empty-handed. Now there's been a critical mass of black voices out here telling our people that is not okay. And you have a lot of these bootlegs who previously were selling the soap shamelessly for the Democrats, like say the breakfast schlubs, who are now saying exactly what you're saying. Oh yeah, all the folks that are holding holy Their deflections and distractions have failed, they're talking like us. Uh yeah, why are you saying going for Biden? Because of reparations. Gee. The black I ain't trying to hear that. Give me my don't money. So that's what's been oh, happening that, that, with that, your so-called black mouthpieces. Here they are running away from their previous cheerleading for Democrats. All that shucking and jiving and bringing Hillary Clinton by the studios of the breakfast schlubs to shuck and jive and joke about whether or not she likes hot sauce or chicken or whatever. We're the ones who forward a real hard-nosed, intelligent political discourse that they couldn't keep up with. And here they are pathetically trying to cop it. Late as usual. Democrats and the left-leaning white media love to claim that democracy hangs in the balance. Well, as black people, we've never had democracy. And to this day, Biden still refuses to acknowledge the enormous part that he has played in our oppression. He has yet to admit to the policies and laws that he fought for and got passed, like the 86 Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which created the 100 to 1 sentencing disparity between crack cocaine and powdered cocaine. He was one of the co-sponsors of that bill. Or the 94 Crime Bill, which he wrote. He fought against school busing and other social initiatives, and back then, he got a little loose. He felt a little bit bold to say exactly what he thought about black people back then. He has yet to admit to this, to spell out his political sins, his racist anti-black sins, and then to say what he's going to do to reverse it and to compensate us for the damage that he did. Biden wants to pretend that it doesn't matter, as if he's going to bestow upon himself some clean slate. And he'll have some hand-picked sell-out bootlicks like Cedric Richmond and Simone Mandy Sanders say, Yep, yeah, boss, you ain't did nothing wrong. You don't owe the black communities nothing. You ain't did nothing wrong. Well, we're showing him that black people haven't forgotten. And we haven't forgiven either. We'll continue with the moment of truth in just a moment. But first, a word from the official sponsor of Black Empowerment, Power Tools. There's no telling when something's going to come up. So make sure you carry your power tools at all times. You never know when you're going to need to bring the hammer down, or when you'll have some trash that needs to be blown away, or some obstacle that requires cutting down. Don't get caught empty-handed. 
Keep your hammer close by. Keep that leaf blower at the ready. And always carry your steel. Power tools. Because no matter what your day job or side hustle may be, there's no excuse for not being ready to put in some work. And before we go any farther, don't let the white media shoehorn anyone else into this. This isn't about Hispanics or Asians or anyone else whose voter support has got Democrats shook. Those other groups already vote Republican by and large, or their numbers are too small to make a difference in the election. This is about black voters. In fact, that's what practically all of this New York Times piece even talks about. They're trying to prop up the fiction that black people alone cannot cost Biden the presidency, when we're the only reason that he's in the White House. Throwing other people into the conversation is their way of trying to talk around us. They'll push some minorities jargon or some people of color rhetoric, then make sure that anything that they do gives things to everyone except us. And then they say the DACA program had some Haitians who got helped, so that's tangible for black people. Or they'll say black people can apply for some of these lift all votes programs. See, a handful of black people were able to apply for it. So, see, there's something for you. And while it is true that there's still a lot of scared Negroes out there, the problem for the Democrats is they haven't got enough scared Negroes. More and more black people are seeing that Democrats aren't doing anything for us, and they're not pushing back against the Republicans' legislative attacks on us. I, we see how Democrats fall all over each other to make sure they stick up for everybody else. All it took was for Clarence Thomas to make one off-the-cuff remark that the Supreme Court might re-examine its ruling legalizing gay marriage, and both Democrats and Republicans came together immediately to pass a federal gay marriage law. Black people are the primary victims of hate crimes in America. Democrats have not and are not even trying to pass a black hate crimes law. They did pass one specifically for Asians, though. Look, four years ago, a lot of Negroes, even those in places like this, were scared. And that's something that needs to be admitted to. If you're scared, then just say you're scared. We see people quaking in their boots. Any Negro who said, we got to vote for Biden because Trump is too dangerous. That's fear talking. Biden didn't deserve our vote any more than Trump did. Because Biden promised us absolutely nothing. Oh, wait, strictly speaking, that's not exactly correct. He did make a couple of empty promises. He promised a White House-level police accountability commission when he was campaigning in 2020, but the instant that he was declared the winner of the election before he even took office, he was already saying he wasn't going to do this. And let Congress try to pull that together. I'm just too busy. That means he never had any intention of doing it from the very beginning. That proposed White House Police Accountability Commission was a lie, and Biden knew it was a lie when he was promising it. He also chattered about a lift every voice plan, and that, of course, was also forgotten the moment that he was declared the winner. His George Floyd Policing Act, nothing ever came of that, though his Solicitor General did make sure to send a friend of the court brief to the Supreme Court telling them to weaken the Miranda ruling. Biden said that he refused to use his executive order's authority because, as he said, he didn't want to pass any executive orders that could simply be overturned by the very next Republican who took office. He wanted legislation. That is one of the weakest and dumbest excuses for not using the executive order authority. And it becomes clear that it's also a lie, too, because he signed an executive order regarding guidelines for federal police. And he even invited George Floyd's family to watch him sign this do-nothing piece of paper. So in one breath, Biden acknowledges that executive orders are of very little use and have no real permanence. And then he tells us that we should be dancing in the streets and kissing his behind because he signed an executive order. 
See, the same bootlicks and shills and DNC plants who have been laying low for the last three and a half years all of a sudden are starting to stick their little heads up because we're going into an election cycle, and they have to. And it's their job to try to sell the soap. So part of our job as the new voice of the black media is to make sure that you don't forget all of these sins and crimes that were committed against us. Is to make sure that we keep it fresh in your mind so when the booklets and these shills and these anonymous Twitter accounts show up trying to boost the Democrats, you are armed with the talking points where you can read them chapter and verse. Here's all the broken promises. Here's the stuff that he didn't do, and they can't refute it. See, we can't afford to let anyone have us running scared or voting scared either. And having a couple of hand-picked black female justices on the Supreme Court or having Kamala Harris, that game is not going to be working with black female voters either. They're still up to the same old tricks, but that's because white supremacy doesn't have any new plays in the playbook. We have attached demands to our vote. More importantly than that, we've made it clear that we're prepared to just walk away from the process altogether, and that's got shook. It's like I've long told you. Uh, people who are voting are not in revolt. And when people abandon the ballot box, well, two years ago, the whole world saw exactly what can happen. The white media's bootlicks are terrified. They can't even talk about what we're doing. They don't dare. Their job is to be cheerleaders for their paymasters and to prove they can corral all of these unruly Negroes and get us to dance to masses too. But they royally failed at that. So they're trying to ignore what we're doing and understand they're going to be trying another little devious move. So far, they've been tiptoeing up to saying that, well, the reason black voters are turning away from Biden is because he's not doing anything for crime reform, no criminal justice reform, you know, because all the black folks are in prison, remember? Then they're going to say, well, he's not doing anything for immigrants, and black voters are concerned about that. But they're going to say he's not doing enough for abortion, or he's not doing enough for LGBT rights. Or they're going to say black people want Biden to give more money to the HBCUs. Or to black would-be Democrats who want to get into office. In other words, the white media's deflection is going to be the claim that black people want Democrats to do all these things that are only going to benefit the Democrats. They have these phony black front groups like Black Pack and others, organizations created by and funded entirely by white Democrat money whose job is to sell the soap for Massa, White power has tried to use its unlimited resources to manufacture safe pet Negroes who will repeat their lies and then use its money to invent platforms for these puppets and carpet bomb us with their propaganda. But reality always has the last word. That's what they've tried to do so far, trying that political Jedi mind trick on us. And this is where it's put them. Democrats have long since let their plans slip. Rahm Emanuel and others have said it. Democrats have been trying to cobble together a non-black voter base to replace us. And that's because, as we're getting on code, we're making demands that will actually require white supremacy to give up its power. And we can't have that. See, the problem for the Democrats is that they're trapped in the horns of the dilemma. They want to give us the middle finger and then take all these other groups who they've been producing policies and tangibles for and formally announce that they're the new Democrat voter base they don't have to do anything for black people, so the threat has been neutralized. Black voters are irrelevant. That's what they want to do, but they can't. See, this is like what happens when a company wants to expand its customer base, or when a TV network or a TV show wants to expand its audience. They want to change things up so that they can attract all of those new eyeballs who they really want and start catering to that newer, larger audience. 
but they don't want to alienate their existing customer base too soon because then they would lose all their customers who want to go out of business. See, Democrats face the same problem with this would-be voter-based pivot that they're trying to pull. What Democrats are doing is the political equivalent of monkey branching. Problem is, they can't let go of the first branch until they have a firm grasp on the next. Problem is, they don't. Asians trend for Republicans, and even if they didn't like the LGBT community, there's simply not enough of them as a constituency to win national or even statewide elections. Hispanics also trend for Republicans, so they're not a reliable voter base. White suburban women could be influential, but they are the very definition of Karens, which is why Democrats are beating the hell out of that drum on abortion. But as I mentioned earlier, mostly that's supposed to be appealing to younger white suburban women, which means you already have a niche within a niche. So for all you Democrat shows who work here or who post your asinine messages on Twitter, er, I mean X, what a stupid name. This is why black people aren't falling for all your empty praise for Biden. We know his real track record, and your lies can't cover up the stink. When we demand to know what Biden has done for black people, you're not going to be able to get away with lying that he passed some arcane legislation that applies to everyone and then claim that somehow that constitutes a benefit for us. You shills are without conscience, decency, or morals. Most of you are bootlicks, tethers, interceptionists. You hate the black community. You're like Karen Bass and Officer Eric Adams of the NYPD, who also moonlights as the city's mayor. You have contempt for the black community. And as you see it, if you can just lick it up in the Democrats' boots, then you'll do like Simone Manny Sanders and get yourself a patronage job working for some Democrat politician. And then afterwards, you'll be able to parlay that into a career as a consultant or maybe some gig on a TV show or something, which is what most of these clowns do. They see the black vote as nothing more than a way to burnish their own resumes, prove their usefulness to the white political machine. We are nothing more than useful idiots to them if we let them use us. Now, if you want to get yourself out of the scared and dumb column and into the brave and smart column, then understand this time around, you don't do what you did four years ago and make excuses about how we need to vote for Biden because Trump's too dangerous. In reality, we were actually in less danger under Trump because black people couldn't deny the threat that he posed. We couldn't deny that we would have to fight, and we did. With Trump, we didn't sit on our hands. We got up on our feet. With Trump, we were on full alert, and we were fighting the bastard and all of his pals. Because of us, we set off a worldwide global revolution. We had everybody around the world following in our footsteps because they do that anyway. But then we talked ourselves into basically surrendering to the left arm of white supremacy. We put Biden in office without him promising us anything, and we walked away from the battlefield in the middle of the fight. See, we're under attack by both political parties. The only question is, when are we going to start fighting back? And under Trump, we couldn't go back to watching Love and Hip Hop or Tyler Perry's next movie or the NBA Finals. We actually had to face the facts that we were under threat because we couldn't deny it. And as a result, we saw these district attorneys and corrupt cops have the fear of God put into themselves. And we saw them charging these thugs with badges and putting the bastards in cages where they belong. And we didn't need a single election or to pass a single law to get it done either. When we mobilized, things happened. We put the enemy on the run. Yes, Donald Trump is dangerous. And that's a good thing because it means we have to accept the fact that we're going to have to fight. And for a while we did. And we had everybody shook. 
But that changed when we let the scared Negroes talk us into voting for Biden. We told ourselves we didn't need to fight these white supremacists anymore because all we had to do was put Biden in office and give Nancy Pelosi control of the House and Chuck Schumer control of the Senate. And why the Democrats in Congress who haven't done anything for us in 50 years, they're going to take up the fight for us. They'll do things because they know what will happen if they don't. That was something that I recall somebody actually calling into a broadcast on one of these programs and actually saying, Biden knows what will happen if he doesn't. He knows he's got to produce because he knows what will happen if he doesn't. Well, we gave the Democrats complete control of the presidency and both houses of Congress, just like we did in 2008. And what did the Democrats do for us? What did Biden do for us? Nothing. What did they do to fight the Republicans who are attacking us? Nothing. They ignore police brutality and violence. They ignore the injustices we saw.